Hello, 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 and welcome to a brand new episode of Squad Up, the podcast all about games, games of all kinds. I am your host, Eduardo, and welcome back. You know, if for those of you that uh, that don't know what Squad Up is, it was the birthplace of our podcasting journey, Peaches and I, years ago, and it is years at this point. That's wild. Uh, started this podcast, Squad Up, and it was just a way for us to talk about video games. And honestly, it was more, it was less about talking about video games and more about just like hanging out with friends because we had all kind of moved across the country, which is funny because we're literally on the same room right now, but we had all moved across the country and I wanted a way for us to like talk to each other and to kind of almost like have to talk to each other because we're all so busy and stuff. But if we had a set time every week, we would always just meet there every week at the same time to do this podcast. And that's how we kind of got to assembly required and where we are today. So for our first bonus episode, we thought we'd bring it back to our roots and we also have the full Assembly required crew assembled here. We've got Chris, the sound lord. Hello. We've got Peaches, and we've got Robbie. What's up, guys? What? We did mostly talk about video games on Squad Up. Though we did have a we did have a couple where we were like, let's argue about Harry Potter for an episode. That's true. Um, <laughs> I remember that. We did have a couple That's off topic. Basically, I mean, what these bonus episodes are going to be. I yeah, think. not us, arguing about Harry Potter. Us getting off topic is not an assembly required exclusive. No, is what I'm saying. In fact, I think we kind of cleaned it up for assembly required, especially at first. Yeah, we did. We have since gone in the other direction. <laughs> yes, Michigan but, Chillers. What? <laughs> yeah, but at first we had really cleaned up the whole getting off track that should be our bonus episode. oh yes i've already i've already looked Michigan into getting Chillers. those books like i've <laughs> seriously considered that i've looked there on ebay we have I've been to trying to find that. a complete yeah, collection feels like a we can all read a couple of them and discuss that yeah. is absolutely a bonus episode i want to do do you know what else was different about squad up that we've never done for assembly required because i just think it doesn't make sense to do it for assembly required is we mostly recorded squad up live on twitch we did and yeah. when it was just when it was the beginning and it was just me and eduardo um eventually we did have like bonus guests but chris and robbie were in the twitch audience a lot they were yeah. they were yeah. they were like commenting in real time and then we were sometimes responding back to them and i don't know if that was awkward for the listeners well, or not but and that's where chris became the sound lord to begin with yes, because right. he offered he was like hey do you guys need someone to do your sound for you and he became the sound lord in squad up yes the benevolent squad right. squad sound lord blah, blah, blah. yeah i used to it this is gonna sound super cozy i used to like go out and start a fire in the backyard and and put an iPad on a uh, on a chair and just watch. That is super cool. That sounds yeah. very much like that TikTok of the guy who's like, "Hey there, buddy," and he makes the the like comfort food while playing video games. Do you know who I'm talking about? No, no. I don't. But uh, that sounds like my uh, yeah. That's I'm gonna aesthetic. find him. My direct niche. Yeah, yeah our listener only uh, <laughs> listeners will really enjoy that. You finding this TikTok? I mean, for later. I'm not gonna. They can look it up. Some of them know who I'm talking about. Do they? Anyway, hopefully. So we're here to talk about games, games of all kinds. We're going to talk about some recommendations we've had over the past couple of years. I know we both, or no, we both, all of us have been, uh, are avid gamers in many forms, video gamers, board gamers, escape gamers. You know, we, we like <laughs> games. We like to gamify things. Peaches uh, wouldn't be as skinny as he is now if there wasn't a game associated <laughs> yeah. with his Peloton. You know, there's, there's you a- hear that, everybody? <laughs> 
Peach is a skinny baby. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's what you got from that? That's you what remember, people um, look at. Do you remember, uh, <laughs> what was it? Um, the one movie you guys watched with us that had Steve Carell. Um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I uh, forgot what it's called. Yeah, with Steve Carell and Ryan Gosling yeah. and Stone. Well, and there's a scene there where Steve Carell is like on a date with um, uh, Marissa Tomei. Mm-hmm. And she, he like goes on this long tirade about how you know he like oh, that's he like, what you got from that, <laughs> and then yeah. she's like, "You think I'm the perfect combination of uh, pretty, oh, and, cute and, yeah, cute and sexy, cute and sexy?" And she's like, "That's what you got from that." That's how I felt just now. I was like, "Yeah, that's what you got." Yeah, from that? <laughs> I heard the thing I wanted to hear. I worked hard for this bod. <laughs> I'd be Peloton. I'd be up in the Peloton working on my fitness. Good for you. He's my witness. But we're going to talk about some of our recommendations over the past couple of years. We're going to start with Chris. Chris, what are you going to recommend for our listeners? Think of this as like a big recommendation. Also, um, I guess I should also talk about how this is a bonus episode. You yeah, probably yeah, yeah. already know that this is a bonus episode. This is something that we're going to be doing uh, for our Patreon listeners. Uh, you know, we want to give you guys some something extra for supporting us over at Patreon. So we've committed to doing at least one of these bonus episodes a month that are going to be exclusive to Patreon. So if you want to hear more than two levels of patreons to our top two levels of patreons that, the right five there. and ten the heroes and the avengers yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 um so this first one we're putting out there for everyone so if you like this style of us talking about things that aren't marvel go ahead and support us over <laughs> intentionally go over to patreon.com slash assembly required um and then you can hear us in all of our Glory. You know what'll happen, you guys, is we're going to intentionally be talking about non-Marvel and then segue into Marvel and talk about that for like 35 minutes. Yeah, it'll be marvelous. Chris, mm-hmm. what's your first True. recommendation? Uh, Marvel versus... Ca- no, okay. uh, <laughs> um, first of all, the movie is Crazy Stupid Love. Crazy Stupid I Love. Think there it is. Uh, so my first recommendation, uh, so we're, we're recommending games today, and the first one I'm going to talk about, and I think Robbie's going to maybe... Uh, I would love for you to join in this conversation. I would like to talk about a game that came out last year called Metroid Dread. Ooh, yes, wow, little, I have feelings. L- uh, yeah, little little indie title here. Yeah, we're little indie about. title. <laughs> um, so, Metroid. I'm, I'm going to touch a little bit on the whole series, but I want to focus. I do want to focus on Dread as the uh, the most recent game in the series. Metroid is probably what it is. It is definitely one of my favorite video game series of all time. It is top two or three, and every once in a while, I think, is it my favorite? Is it actually my favorite series? And depending on the day, yes. On other days, no. Um, I am a, I am a gamer who got into it late. So the the brief history of the Metroid series is it's the original came out in nineteen eighty seven or eight. I 80s, think eighty seven in the U.S., eighty six in Japan. Thank you. Wow. Thank you, Fucking Robbie. Nerd. <laughs> um, <laughs> And it was one of, if not the very first game in a genre that is now called Metroidvania, because right. no one could come up with a better name for it, uh, apparently. So they just mashed up Metroid and Castlevania. Why is it not called a Metroid? Which one? Came, first off, which one came first, Metroid or Castlevania? Metroid. Uh, Metroid. And Castlevania didn't become a Metroidvania until Symphony of the Night. 1997. So then why is it called a Metroidvania? Is it because of what Symphony of the Night did to like I'm gonna look it push up. forward the genre? Yeah, that's basically it. It um I think a lot of it is it kind of encapsulates like if you're into Metroid games, this is similar to a Metroid game. If you're 
And if you like Castlevania games, it's similar to a Castlevania game. I once so, had a boss in Metal Gear ask me if I liked Castlevania. Well, and a lot <laughs> of it is for a very long time, kind of up to the, the name was coined, I think, early 2000s. For a very long time, Metroid and Castlevania were, for the most part, the only games like that. And so it wasn't like you have now where lots of indie developers are creating Metroidvanias. So for a long time, it was those are the only two franchises that are like this. So it really combining it because it's like these are these two franchises that have something in common. Um, and so that's kind of where that comes from. Um, yeah, that that's really it. It wasn't a thing until Symphony of the Night. Um, and then in the early 2000s, they started releasing a lot of Symphony of the Night style Castlevania games mm-hmm. on the Game Boy Advance. Um, and then then the DS. And that was kind of where that came from. Is it's like, these are the game. This is a, the games that are like Metroid and Castlevania. And then slowly as the indie scene started to develop, started to get people who were very, very influenced by these games Guacamole. starting to create indie. Symphony of the Night ca- and uh, uh, Metroidvanias. Super Metroid, I think, especially were the two. Yes, correct. Like, high marks of of the, mm-hmm. of the respective series. Yeah. Um, and a lot of indie developers have come out with some incredible Mm-hmm. Metroidvania style games like Hollow Knight. Uh, yeah, Hollow Knight is incredibly rude. I think yeah. Peach is correct. Guacamelee is in. Guacamelee is fantastic. It is an undersung, mm-hmm. like yes. underappreciated Metroidvania. One because it like, it like isn't necessarily poke fun at Metroidvanias, but it's very self aware and it directly mm-hmm. references Metroid right, and right. Castlevania throughout yes. the game. Yes, there are Trozo yeah. statues. And everything. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny you guys are bringing up Guacamelee because just completely by coincidence, not knowing you were going to discuss this, I was on the Metroidvania subreddit two days ago. Okay, and discovered that they don't like Guacamelee. Really? What? Yeah, they are yes. so wrong mm-hmm. that they have so sticks up their butts. It, it's not really important. All their reasons no, it is for not important. liking it. I'm okay. going to fight them. <laughs> their, their reasons for not liking it are actually things that. Like they weren't making things up about the game. It's just stuff that didn't bother me. Like, um, like it, it's it's somewhat linear for a Metroidvania. Okay. Um, but I that's fine. Hey, you know a what lot else of them is also, Metroid Dread? A um, lot of them don't like the combat, but I loved the combat. So, um, I think we should define Metroidvania though, uh, to mm-hmm. the best of our abilities. For okay. those of you who do not know what a Metroidvania is, uh, uh I think calling it an open world side scroller is maybe a good. Yeah. Indication. Um, there's generally usually... it's you can kind of go in any direction. It's a non-linear side-scrolling platformer mm-hmm. where uh, certain areas are gated behind abilities yes. that you acquire. You acquire new abilities and items as you explore, and you can use those abilities to go back to places earlier that you couldn't necessarily get through before. So, like a very uh, very basic example is early in Metroid, you get missiles. There are certain doors that can only be opened by missiles. So you can explore as much as you can. Then when you finally find missiles, now you can go through those missile doors. Or like a double jump. Hey, Chris, you don't know what one of my favorite Metroidvanias is? Tell me. Donkey Kong 64. No. That that said, so funny. Banjo-Tooie is more like a Metroidvania than Donkey Kong 64. So funny enough. I disagree. I wanted to say say this to you, specifically, Eduardo. Um, I realize I'm pointing and the listeners don't know who I'm pointing at. Um, He's pointing at Eduardo. The other day, there was a, a few days ago, I was reading another thread that was people trying to like define a list of 3D Metroidvanias. And it's very hard for there to be a 3D Metroidvania because once a game goes to 3D, it becomes almost kind of mutually exclusive. I nominate Metroid Prime, Metroid Prime 2, and so, Metroid Prime 3. <laughs> so Metroid Prime is definitely probably the best example of doing a metroidvania in 3d but another one of a whole bunch of people brought up and i had never thought about it but then i agreed is god of war the 2018 god of war is 
is oh I, yeah God of I War think is checks off a like, lot of the boxes of three yeah. Metroidvania yeah. Um, yeah, you can't do certain things until you mm-hmm. get certain upgrades right, or yeah. story beats or mm-hmm. very specifically I would say the castle kind of on the Castlevania end with like some RPG mechanics, yeah. like XP, oh, yeah, that yeah. sort of thing. Huh. But there's a bunch there's stuff gated behind um gated behind abilities. Uh you do a lot of backtracking, which is another kind of a hallmark of a Metroidvania where, you know, you get somewhere, you can't advance, but you will eventually return to that area and you are able to advance now. I mean that you guys are describing Donkey Kong sixty four. I don't know why you guys are scoffing at that. Well, because do you get generally abilities? a Metroidvania is not broken up into discrete levels. Right. And Donkey Kong 64 is a bunch of levels that are connected by a hub world, sure. like Mario 64, like Banjo-Kazooie. Crash I think Bandicoot. you guys are focusing too much on what not doesn't make it a Metroidvania and not enough on the stuff that does make it a Metroidvania. Like how in the levels, you start off the game with only Donkey Kong unlocked. <laughs> Eventually, each of you, you end up as being able to play at five Kongs. Mm-hmm. Five, right? Yes, five. Into playing five different characters in that game. And then you unlock a weapon for each of those characters. And there are certain areas that you'll walk by and you'll see, oh, when I unlock Lanky Kong, he'll be able to go in this direction and do these things. He'll be able to collect these coins that are only for Lanky Kong. So, like, yes, there are... it things that are different, like it's 3D uh-huh. and it has a hub world, but there are also a ton of similarities. I wouldn't necessarily call them Metroidvanias. Donkey Kong 64 and Banjo-Kazooie, I think, are good examples of 3D platformers that actually did take a lot of elements from Metroidvanias, particularly the uh, progression of learning different moves as you go through and being able to go back and do things that maybe you couldn't before. Uh, so definitely Metroid elements. I don't know if it's enough to... I like encompass the entire genre, but certainly uh, I think it does, and I don't. I don't think you can argue. It does definitely take a lot of inspiration. Chris, you're now. really you're getting into smashes in a fighting game territory, and I want you to understand your logic and then put it to Smash being a fighting game and see where you land. Oh, the game where you fight people? Yeah, uh, uh, Robin, the game where you. I'm totally down with smashes into fighting game. Um, I, I think I think Smash is a subgenre of fighting game, but well, one thing I was gonna say just to just to challenge you, okay. not so much necessarily going to agree, agree with Eduardo, but I am gonna say that how he's describing Donkey Kong sixty four does fit Metroid Prime two, which is very much discrete hub worlds and not an overlapping that map. is true. But again, it's also a three D game. So yeah, I I, I think <laughs> there are people that will tell you there's no such thing as a three D Metroidvania, and I I think, think that's a narrow yeah, view. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, well, that that is certainly something to think about. Uh, what about Metroid Dread? Yeah, talking about Metroid Dread. <laughs> what about the thing that you were originally going <laughs> to yeah, talk yeah. about? Yeah, so we're talking about Metroid Dread. And so Metroid came out on the NES. Metroid 2 was a Game Boy game. Um, a little bit less of a Metroidvania than some of the other game, <laughs> Metro games, actually. Um, but still a, a kind of an open exploration world. And then Super Metroid came in and redefined the genre on the Super Nintendo. And was that 94? Something like that? Yes. Yes, yeah. 94. Um, and then no Metroid happened for a very long time. And then in 2002, two, I think it was 2002, Metroid Prime and Metroid Fusion. Yeah. Yes. They yeah. came out the same Christmas. Or 2001. I, I'm pretty sure it's 2002 because 2001 is when I got my GameCube and the first games I got were Luigi's Mansion. Yeah. Nope. You're right. It was 02. You're right. I, those are the same two games I first played. Let me yeah, tell you something. Luigi's Mansion and Melee. Let me tell you something about Metroid Prime. I 
owned Metroid Prime, and I barely played any of it because it made me sick. Oh, no. Oh, you do move pretty sporadically. It's not sporadic, but you move pretty like... Well, and it was before a time where I played first-person shooters, Mm -hmm. and I think that's like a common thing with first-person shooters is when you're first adjusting to it, it it can be a little jarring. Yeah. Um, and it was me when I was young, and I had Luigi's Mansion sitting right there, and I was like, why am I going to play this and get sick when I can suck up robots or Rob- ghosts? Yeah. It'd be cool if you That's could a different robots. game. <laughs> uh, so, uh, <laughs> so 2002, I got for Christmas Metroid Fusion and Metroid Prime. Metroid Fusion was a Game Boy Advance game, a direct sequel to Super Metroid uh, in that style. A little more linear than other Metroid games, but... It continued that story, even though and even though I hadn't played the original. Do you I, avenge the Metroid baby? Well, you uh, do that in Super Metroid. Yeah, yes. you do in Super Metroid. You, yeah, but he like he well, hurts a no, lot. No, in Metroid Fusion, actually. Um, spoilers for uh, really old games. Yeah, There's skip a, ahead if you have not played Metroid Fusion and are worried about a very simple plot. Yes. So <laughs> the the basic plot of Metroid: you play as Samus Aran, and she is a bounty hunter. And she has been tasked by the Galactic Federation to go to planet Zebus, which is the world she was raised on by the Chozo, uh, who are ancient, an ancient race of wise bird people. Uh, Samus is a human. Her, uh, this is all like... You're lucky this is exactly what our listeners do. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is lore that is like only in the manga, but it is all considered canon. Uh, her parents were... Uh, she lived on, a, on an Earth colony called K2L, I believe. And the space pirates raided that colony, killed her parents. Samus was the only survivor. Her parents were killed by a giant purple space dragon named Ridley, who was the leader of the space pirates. And he is not too big for Smash. Uh, and he's in Smash Brothers. <laughs> and it is wonderful. Um, I, was on, I was on the Ridley for Smash train long before it became a meme. Have you guys played Multiverses Same. yet? I have a little bit. No, little bit. I haven't. It's better than Nickelodeon. Uh, absolutely. Okay. Which wasn't hard, but yeah. it's. It, I, I would say it's like a decent amount better than Nickelodeon. Yes. I don't. I, I don't think it's on Smash's level. I think it'll Smash be... is just incredibly polished. Yeah. Um, but it's it's good. It's very good, and it, and it offers some. I haven't played a two v two, which I know is like their preferred mode. Yep. And I think that does differentiate. Well, from and Smash they have little. Well. They have like. Can you play LeBron are, in two v two? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Everybody. <laughs> so there are characters that are like specifically made for 2v2. Like there's Not a character that like has a like will tether to you. And so you can aerial off the stage with someone. And if you fall too far, it'll like pull you back to him. Oh, that's cool. So yeah. you can like intentionally jump off the ledge and try to like do an aerial combat because you know your buddy will pull you back in. Wonder Is that Woman the one can with... buff your, uh, your partner. Is that the one with right. Shaggy and Velma? Yes. yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> we can play it later. I've got it. Okay. Anyway. Um... Metroid Dread. Back to, yeah. Sorry, this won't I, take very long. Yeah, my <laughs> we'll bad. definitely have time to do things today. So, in Metroid, she has to go stop the space pirates who are who are breeding Metroids, who are they're like these weird jellyfish creatures that suck out energy, like life energy, and uh, they they the Metroids are actually created by the Chozo uh, for reasons that are revealed later. Uh, and the space pirates are trying to steal them and breed them themselves to turn them into a biological weapon uh, so they can take over. So she stops them in Metroid 1. Metroid 2, the Galactic Federation sends her to uh, uh, the planet SR388, which is the another homeworld of the Chozo where the Metroids were created. And she has to eradicate all the Metroids. At the end, she kills the Metroid Queen, but then she finds an egg, the last egg. The Metroid hatches, 
and imprints on Samus as its mother. And it follows her and she brings it to the Galactic Federation for them to study because there are potential good applications of the Metroid biology. Super Metroid picks up right where that leaves off. Ridley attacks the uh, space station at the beginning of Super Metroid and steals the baby. So she has to go back to the planet Zetas. I want to see the baby. And yes, <laughs> uh, and stops space pirates again. And at the end, this is the big spoiler. The met, uh, the the baby Metroid has grown into a giant Super Metroid. And first it tries to attack Samus. And then it realizes who Samus is and it leaves. Mother Brain, who is the final boss, has transformed into a giant dinosaur monster and is about to kill Samus. And the baby comes in and saves Samus, sucks out a lot of life energy of Mother Brain and transfers it back to Samus. Mother Brain comes back to life, kills the baby. But the baby has granted Samus Mother Brain's hyperbeam power, which she then uses to absolutely demolish Mother Brain. Uh, it's cathartic. It is very cathartic. It is one of the greatest moments in video game history. Mm-hmm. Metroid Fusion begins. It was very sad. It is very sad. Peaches was very sad. We got to watch him play it the first time. So, Metroid Prime, just so you know, the Metroid is kind of divided into two series the main series and the Prime series. And then there's other M, which we try not to talk about. Um, but the main series are, are going to be the side scrolling games. So, Metroid, Metroid 2. And then those two games have been remade as Metroid Zero Mission for the Game Boy Advance, which if you haven't played. Metroid play zero mission play both play both I think I think the first one is definitely worth playing if you enjoy the historical uh, you know importance of it but by modern standards it is a very difficult game to play it is very unforgiving just in its mechanics uh, Metroid 2 was remade as Metroid because uh, it was Metroid 2 return of Samus it was remade as Metroid Samus returns for the Nintendo 3ds both worth playing I think Metroid 2 nails the feeling of isolation and despair better. I think Samus Returns is a good modernization of it um, and kind of leads into uh, Metroid Dread because it's the same developers. Mercury Steam, which is a Spanish developer, uh, co-developed it with Nintendo. Um, Super Metroid is available on the Nintendo Switch online service if you have that. Um, Absolutely play that. And then uh, Metroid Fusion was Game Boy Advance, so they call that one Metroid. They call them Metroid 3 and Metroid 4 in the title screens, and the Metroid Dread is Metroid 5. And the Prime series is actually set between Metroid and Metroid 2. So it's kind of a side story. It doesn't really affect the main storyline, but it's all there. Um, and those are 3D first-person exploration games, which are excellent as well. And the rumor is that they're re- re-ba- remaking Metroid Prime for the Switch. This has been a rumor for like five years, so I'll believe it when I see it. But I really hope they do, mainly because I want to replay it. I have the trilogy for Wii, uh, so I could play it there. But I, I hope like, they do too. I would love a remaster version. I really want Angela to play it because I think she would love it. I want them. She to... loves the Bioshock games. She plays those like constantly. Yeah. And I think Metroid Prime is you know just a step away from that uh, uh, and close enough that I think she would enjoy it. I want them to bring them back and put another remaster or another like trilogy package out there again and yes. hopefully they don't do the motion controls only thing because i really want to play them 
No, I just you no, can I, I think you can like them. I just don't want them. I want to play them like they were on GameCube. I don't need the motion controls for those games. I think the motion controls in three were very good because that one was a Wii exclusive. That's fine. I never uh, played three because I couldn't get through two because I hadn't reached the point in my life yet where I was uh, where I enjoyed scary things. Mm, when, yeah, when Echoes came out. And Echo scared the shit out of Two me. Two is a very stressful, claustrophobic. Two is scary game. because Metroid Prime Two is scary because not only is it like it's dark, mm-hmm. like it, the setting is scary, mm-hmm. but you you start the game off with uh, like the regular suit, the Varia suit, mm-hmm. I'm assuming, and you're in like the theme of the game is like the dark versus the light. And whenever you're in the dark with the Varia suit, you take constant damage. So moving around the map is just a constant battle against, I am rapidly losing health. I need to get to a light crystal so that I can sit here and think about what I'm doing. Yes, it is a very, I like it, but it is a very- it's a tense game. Yes. And I assume by the end of it, you get a suit that allows you You to go anywhere. You do. Okay. You do. Yeah. But I never made it there. That opens it up immensely. I remember I got stuck on the boost guardian in that because you have to beat these guardians. The boost guardian is where everyone gets stuck. I didn't play it for like three years because the boost guardian and then I came back and beat it. That's exactly what I did. I beat it. I finished it right before uh, Metroid Prime 3 came out. Um, My favorite moment of that was that I beat. Dark Samus, who was the final boss, or no, I, I beat whoever the final boss before Dark Samus was, um, and well, I started humming the escape Emperor theme e. from the NES game, and then it started playing in the actual game. I was like, oh my god, they did I it. didn't realize that until recently, that that song is playing during that point. Yes, I got very excited. I, they do a great job of calling back to the old themes. Music in these games are incredible as well. Um, Metro- oh yes, the story of Metroid Fusion. Which you need, which you need to, which you need to know to get to Metroid Dread. The Galactic Federation goes back to. Uh, I'm not going to talk nearly as much about my next game. I promise. Um, you only get one. <laughs> that's fair. You know what? If you want to cut my second, no, game, this is part. This is our fault too. All right. Um, the story of Metroid Fusion is that the Galactic Federation has gone back to SR388, and they discover a parasite called the X-Parasite. And it turns out that this is the creature that the Chozo created the Metroid to destroy. Because what the X-Parasite does is it infects you, kills you, and then makes a perfect copy of you. Um, Samus goes to SR388 and is immediately attacked by an X. And what the, the Federation ends up creating a vaccine from the last few cells of the baby Metroid. And that stops the X infection. So the baby has saved her life again. Uh, and then a bunch of people refuse to get it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. I'm not going to talk about my... Uh, <laughs> my suit, my choice. Yeah. Yeah. And so her suit looks all different because the suit has biological components to it. And they had to actually like surgically remove those. So she's like been changed a little bit by this metro dna but what it does is it means that she can absorb the x and actually take their powers so that's how she heals throughout the game that's how she upgrades her powers. she's on the space station and uh the x have escaped so she has to stop it while she's being stalked by this copy of her called the sax so it's an x parasite copy of samus that has all of her abilities of full power <laughs> Sax. Yeah, the but I've been, play, sax. So I've been playing sexy sax man whenever. <laughs> 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 
S A dash X, excuse me. Um, the Alto S A dash X. Um, yeah, so I, as she goes through, you know, she's able to defeat it and she escapes. Then for years, so then we got like the, the Metroid, Metroid Prime series continued. They made a game called Metroid Other M that is extremely controversial for a lot of reasons. It's, it's not controversial. It's bad. Yeah, it's it's. It, I think it's a bad game. Uh, I think we can safely say that. They focus a lot more on the story on it, and arguably they did not do a very good job of that at all. I actually don't like the gameplay that much either. Oh, the gameplay is terrible. I finally finished it before Dread came out because okay. I'm a completionist. I'm sorry. You should Yeah. Have. Uh, this one is also set on a space station. It's set between Super Metroid and Metroid Fusion. And honestly, I don't normally advocate skipping things in a series, but you can skip this one. And they made a couple other spinoffs. There's Metroid Prime Hunters, Metroid Prime Federation Force for the DS and the 3DS um, that were really spinoff games. Federation Force, you don't even play as Samus, so you can kind of forget about that. It was a squad-based multiplayer first-person game, which is interesting to set in the Metroid world, but not what people were looking for in Metroid. Do you know, this is going to be a spoiler, but I don't care because you shouldn't play it. Do you know how Samus is used in that game? Yes. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, Samus does show up. She's the final boss. Yeah. Don't play it. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a post credit scene where they really want to make Silux happen. <laughs> and the rumor, they are, Metroid Prime 4 is in development as well. Anyway, so after Fusion, there was this rumor that there's going to be a DS sequel to uh, that called Metroid Dread. And then it just never came out. And then last year at E3... They're like, we're still working on Metroid Prime 4 because they actually fired the development team and restarted development on Metroid Prime 4. And we haven't heard anything from it since in years. Um, but they're like, we are still working on Metroid Prime 4. But in the meantime, here's another game uh, in the Metroid series. And they start this uh, trailer where she's being stuck by this robot. And I'm watching with Angela and I go, oh, my God, is this going to be Metroid Dread? And then the title came up and it was Metroid Dread. And I freaked the hell out, mm. man, because this game is like Same. legendary in like games that it was never even formally announced well so and it was there was a in metroid prime 3 there was a thing you yes. could scan that told you i can't remember how it said it but it's like metroid, metroid project dread. dread is nearing uh nearing yes. completion and that was like the like the easter egg of here's this game that's coming out that never came out yeah and then finally metroid dread was announced from the developers of the metroid 2 remake uh samus returns and it fixed a lot of the problems I had with Samus Returns, which I like Samus Returns. Don't get me wrong. Um, but it felt more Metroid-y than Samus Returns to me. And partially, I think, because it's an original game. Um, basic story of this is that we think that the X have been eradicated. Uh, turns out they have not. Turns out they're going to give it to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Samus receives the, re uh, the Galactic Federation receives the report it's that. It's not a fucking game. <laughs> Fuck what you heard. It's what you're hearing. Listen. <laughs> Sorry. There was a photo, a photo was sent of a living X parasite on this planet called ZDR. So they send Samus to investigate and she immediately gets her shit wrecked by a Chozo who were thought to be extinct. Like, I, I, like throughout this whole series, we thought that there are no more Chozo. Uh, that a lot of them had, like, sort of ascended. Well, it turns out there is one there, and it wants Samus for reasons I will not get into. I will not get into the story of this one too much. But it's all about her. You wake up as, in Metroid style with all your powers gone. 
and you have to work your way from the center of the planet back up to the surface to your ship and uncover the mystery of what's going on. And I thought they just did a really good job of making a modern day 2D Metroid. Uh, some really great boss fights. Um, a big thing in Metroid is sequence breaking and and not quite to the extent of Zero Mission, but they built in a lot of of intentional sequence breaking opportunities into this game, like where they actually have special animations for certain bosses if you defeat them with weapons that you're not supposed to have gotten by the time you get there in the normal playthrough, like they thought it like, well, we know you can get the bombs early. So here's a secret way you can beat this boss with bombs, uh, complete with different cutscenes and everything. So they were, they very much knew that the Metroid community was going to be like trying to find ways to break the game. And they're like, all right, we, we're planning for this. And it was, it is the highest selling Metroid game of all time. Metroid has never sold well, traditionally. And that's why they there was never a Nintendo 64 Metroid game. There was never a Wii U Metroid game. They skip entire generations of hardware. Here, here's a here's a question, and it is not to diminish Metroid Dread selling as well as it does. Uh-huh. Are we at a point with video games, sort of like movies, where if there is a video game, people go out and get it? Like that is yes. the yeah. game of the time. Yes. I was thinking that too. Everyone purchases it, and that is yep. that like adds to the highest selling metroid game and like right. yeah, it's, uh, yeah not not impressive but no, it's also no, 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 like no, no. there's a lot more oh, nerds yeah. and people yeah, willing absolutely. to buy right. the this fact that it is on nintendo switch is the main reason well, yeah, and like, that and nintendo actually marketed it for there's more of like a like mm-hmm. a fervor and like a yeah. like a there it, it seems like like the flavor of the month kind of a thing not necessarily be, right it has yeah. no into there's no indication of the quality of metroid it was right. it was the big game release of its right. time yes and when so, it, and when that and happens it feels it like gonna end up being the best yeah metroid there was game. almost no doubt that it was gonna end up being the best-selling metroid because there really wasn't much competition right yeah well in today's day and age people are very big on what is the, the thing that we're doing right now all right. together yeah yeah you're definitely right on that it's actually i was just thinking on different franchise but similar thought to you the other day um there's a hilarious video on uh youtube where this guy tracks graph style the best-selling zelda game of all time and it just shows oh, yeah. each zelda game you know slowly selling and, and you know like ocarina of time one of those passes. like chrono like it's moving yeah, the yeah. time it's is passing of, yeah. and, re- right. and you're watching bar the bars grow month by month yeah. the best-selling zelda game of all time and each bar is just kind of growing really slowly really slowly then Breath of the Wild comes out, mm-hmm. and Breath of the Wild does that thing that Captain America and Black Panther do in Infinity War, yeah. where it just like it just there's our Marvel tangent baby shoots up the <laughs> uh, up the list and then just surpasses everything by a mile. And Breath of the Wild is now now part of this is because Breath of the Wild is a great game, but a lot of it is to Eduardo's yeah. point. There was also just a massive install base. People are more likely to just get the like and it was one of the first games on the switch too right it yes. was and yeah. it's also i mean and you're talking you say it's a good right. game it is by some uh some maybe even some on this couch considered the greatest game of right. all time absolutely yes. like there are lots of people i think At out there that consider it couch, yes. that consider <laughs> it the best game that has ever been right. made correct and so i think and that so maybe also it's not a good it. example but i think it's so far ahead of everything else yeah that i think it's still by example because i think it, it, We've also talked about like when that game came out. It's what social media was. Social media right. was what did you do in Breath of the Wild today? Yeah, yeah. Um, much like how Animal Crossing became such a huge seller because right. it happened to yeah. come out right, yeah. right. exactly. Yeah. Animal Crossing. Good, that's another good example. Is an incredible example. Yeah. So, yeah. and Animal Crossing, I think, also fits this. 
the reason I bring that up is because I was, this was literally, I was just, I was getting my car thinking about that video for some reason the other day. And when I was thinking about that, what crossed my mind, and I think this is true to your point about a lot of games now, is I remember a line someone once said about Michael Jackson's Thriller, the, the album, not the single, hmm. where that album at some point stopped selling like a, like a good selling album and started selling more like a household utility that everyone has in their house. And I think that's true of a lot of video games now. Yes. Like yeah. Animal Crossing. If you have a yes. Switch, you right. probably have Mario Kart, right. and you probably have Animal it, Crossing, and you probably have where Zelda. Where some of these games Smash. have ceased Smash. to yes. sell like a like we think of a good selling video game and have started to sell the way that people buy like a coffee maker. Well, and or, then yeah. you get into problems with this fervor because think about games like Sekiro and Elden Ring where they are the flavor of the month. Everyone buys it and yeah. then goes... Wait a second. I can't play this. I hate this. Yeah. Like, this isn't right. for me. And I love both of those games. Right. But there are lots of people that get swept up in the mm-hmm. the hype uh, of mm-hmm. it all and then sit down to play the game. And they're like, actually, yeah. I don't like this at all. Yeah, I have a friend that I bought don't miss Elden those. Ring because everyone was playing Elden Ring. And she bought Elden Ring. And she's like, why is it kicking my ass? Well, that- <laughs> I, don't, I don't miss those constant uh, Twitter discussions about the difficulty and that sort yes. of thing. Oh, yeah. Right. Well, and yeah. the, like, I feel like the, my problem with a lot, one, they're on Twitter, and because they're on Twitter, it's a bunch of 12-year-olds that don't have a profile picture. And two, <laughs> um, it's because the, the, con- the conversation is steered in the wrong direction. It is not about whether or not games need to have, like, difficulty options it is about the way that games are trending and the direction they are going as far as like marketability and how they are marketed Mm -hmm. and so if you are marketing your game elden ring is a great example to the masses like dark souls was not marketed as the game that everyone should have in their home and everyone should be playing it was a niche title that came out even all the way up through you know, Bloodborne and Sekiro, those weren't Sekiro kind of, but the rest of them weren't really marketed that way. Mm-hmm. Elden Ring was marketed yeah. as a game you need to have in your household. Yeah. It is a game that you should play. And I think it is fair for people to criticize the difficulty of it if they were marketed and marketing right. it for every single household and say, you know, we, we, you know, the way it's marketed is it's marketed for everyone. Right. Because it had the, something about FromSoft, you just think, oh, look, this game's popular. Exactly. Like my friends. Exactly. It had the George R. R. Martin right. angle where, you know, a lot of people are interested in like, oh, he was the, the Game of Thrones guy was involved. That's interesting. Right. A lot of people compared it to Breath of the Wild, too. Right. And, right. It, and there are some superficial similarities. Absolutely. With it being a big open world where you can just go in whatever direction you want. And sometimes you find out I shouldn't be going I, over I'm here. More, I, f- I find more like stylistic uh, similarities than anything more like sort of the like lack of music I know that's like a weird yeah. thing but no like but yeah it makes the, sort of the, sense the, the, kind the of a very music is really yeah, I, I good I mean, I really there's, think... there's a sense of almost like loneliness yes. uh-huh. in Breath of the Wild yeah. that Elden Ring captures really yes. well yeah I do it does feel a lot like it feels like Dark Souls it's Dark Souls uh, style in combat was placed in a Breath of the Wild style map yeah, yeah. Got, you gotta make out with that mic more you got to get in there. I'm in there. Also, Thank lift you. it up just a little bit. There we go. Perfect. <laughs> right there. That's perfect. Do a chocolate rain and move your mouth to breathe, but otherwise <laughs> otherwise make out. Uh, I was also going to say peaches. That's it's... also how I make out. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. That's not what I heard earlier. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, you bring up difficulty, and to Chris's recommended game, it's also very interesting because 
Metroid Dread is by far the most uh not difficult in terms of I still beat it in eight hours. Yeah. But in terms of how much I died. Because I probably of the last di- element of the game that we want to talk about, yeah. I think. I probably died more in dread than the rest of the Mantroid franchise combined in my entire life. Very yeah. possible. Metroid Dread has a Mr. X, right? Uh y- yes. Uh so mm. so what it is is when you uh, the trailer I mentioned earlier had this robot stalking mm-hmm. Samus, and this is the reason why Dread could not be made until now, according to um, um, what's his name Sakamoto, who is uh, one of the creative directors of the Metroid franchise. Um, what he wanted, so the SAX in Metroid Fusion stalks you in air quotes um, because there are scripted times where. You end up in a room with the SAX and you have to try to like stealthily avoid it because you cannot fight it. You cannot kill it until the end when you are full power. Uh, but there are very specific moments in the game where there is this tension to it because, oh gosh, this thing that will kill me is here. Well, there are multiple sections in this game that are unscripted where you're being stalked by this robot called an Emmy. I forget what it stands for, E-M-M-I, um, but it is like this spider-like robot that if it catches you, it will instantly kill you. You have two chances to counter its attack, and it is a very split-second timer of when you can actually avoid its attack. Um, and even as you get more abilities and you can escape it better, it is still very tense, very scary. I wish there had been more of this in the game. I wish that it were just stalking randomly throughout instead of just in specific sections. But those sections where you are being stalked by the Emmy are very good and are the main thing that set this game apart from the other Metroid games. Very interesting take on the uh, on the um, on the series, I think. Mm -hmm. And I think it's one they fill you in on the entire Metroid lore up through Fusion, but, you know, before you start the game. So if you've never played another Metroid, you should. But I know some of them are hard to come by now, uh, especially now that they've shut down the wii u and 3ds mm-hmm. shops because you could get the game boy Advance games on the wii u you could get all the 3ds games obviously on the 3ds but you can at least play the original metroid and super metroid on the switch online if you have that yep and you should and you should yes uh but yeah so, so th- there's no metroid for the 64 no no, no. metroid prime started as metroid 64 but oh. it just had a it had a horrible development cycle yeah do you, um, do you know what the Mr. X of that game reminds me of? It reminds me of in uh, those Resident Evil mods. There's the one where whenever Mr. X shows up, it starts playing X Go and Give It to You. <laughs> and then there's another one where, where it replaces him with Thomas, Thomas the Train. Thomas the Train. Yeah. And he shows boop, up and he's like. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. In fact, they ended up making a game based off of that. There's an indie game out there where it's like a survival, like a survival horror game, where you're being traced, chased by this like evil train that kind of looks like Thomas the Train. Oh my but god! He's also like half spider, and it, it's terrifying. I hate horrifying. everything about what you just it's said. It's so scary. Please it. don't recommend <laughs> that amazing. game. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, Peach, what's your recommendation? Yeah. Uh, with the 12 minutes we have left. Um, <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. So I'm going to recommend something that actually came out a few years ago. I, I've been playing it recently because I had a conversation with a coworker the other day. We were talking about magic cards and then that like uh, it uh, progressed into Hades. Does magic uh, cards turn into Gyarados? No. Well, no. So 
The actual conversation was we were talking about how there are companies out there that once you get to like, you know, all companies probably to an extent do this where you get to a certain marker of how long you've worked there and they like gift you with something. And we were talking about how Blizzard, when you get to five and 10 and et cetera years, they, five years, you get a sword. If you work for Blizzard, they will make you a sword. I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast or not. I think we talked about it before recording. Yeah. And then you get to 10 years and I think it's a helmet. Uh, but they basically give you <laughs> weaponry <laughs> as you level up with them. And so we were talking about, because my new job, I, I work with um, trading cards. And we were talking about how it would be cool if at certain milestones we got weapons as well, but like from Magic the Gathering. So we were like sharing cards. And then we started talking about Elden Ring because it was weapons to Elden Ring. And then we went from that to Hades because we were talking about platinuming getting platinum trophies in video games. So here we are at Hades. He's talking about how he got the plat for Hades. And I realized that when we were all initially playing it, we were mostly, I think, all playing it on Switch because it was just convenient. And I just think that's where we mostly downloaded it. And there's no trophies or achievements or anything on Switch. So when we had that conversation, I was like, A, I want to play Hades again. B, if I'm going to play Hades again, I might as well get trophies for it because Mm -hmm. I am a trophy whore. I have been a trophy whore since PlayStation 3 put trophies in the interface. I want you guys to know that I played Hades on PC. Oh, you did? Because I bought it a year before all of you and recommended it to all of you. Oh, yeah. And no one listened to me. And a year later, all of you picked up up Hades a year later and were like, oh, right, Eduardo recommended this a year ago. This is pretty good. Listen, it is very good. Because you got the early access, right? I did. So I bought it early access on PC on the Epic Game Store because it was showcased on the Epic Game, uh, on um, that uh, Game Award show. Where they uh, were like just introducing the Epic Game Store, and that was one of the exclusives. It was like, look at this new game, Hades. And I was oh, like, oh, yeah. this game looks sick. So you I, had the yeah, game right. when it was only the first two biomes. Yeah, okay. that's right. I I did miss your recommendation that time. The recommendation I listened to was when it was announced on one of the um okay the the Nintendo. Why can't I think of what Nintendo? It was one of the Nintendo Direct. Yeah, yeah. it was a Nintendo Direct. And you, trailer... I remember you saying that's a pretty good uh, roguelike. Well, and, and and I'll tell you, like maybe it's better that you didn't play it at first because it was definitely incomplete at first. Yeah. And by no. the time it released on Switch, it was that was the 1.0 release. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it was a significantly more complete package. So for the because I um I remember seeing the trailer and thinking and hearing a lot of really good things and thinking it doesn't look like the kind of game I normally play. And I was considering it. And then I went to visit my parents and Danny was there and he said, he hands me a switch and says, play Hades. I played one round of it and said, I'm buying this. You yeah. did that to me. Yes. because That's how it got to me. Because <laughs> he came to visit me and Angela back when we were still living in Pennsylvania. Uh, he was up in Pennsylvania with family and then he came and stayed with us for a couple days and I had to work, and I was like, play Hades, try this. And I just played Hades the whole time I was hanging <laughs> out with you. It was like, oh, they're working? Hades time, baby. Yeah. I, I was a much slower adopter. I got it the same day as everyone else. Um, or I think I got it the same day as you. Yeah. Is, and then in the first few minutes, I was like, I'm sure everyone's right that this game is good, but it is not hooking me yet. So, yeah, so and let then me, I got distracted by other things, and then I came back, and then it hooked me. If, and you're, was, if you're a listener that has been listening to us talk about it for a few minutes, but you don't know what it is, Hades is 
as you would expect, the theme of the game is like Greek mythology. You play as the son of Hades, whose name is Zagreus, and he is trying to break free from the underworld for reasons that I just won't go into. You're trying to break through, and the way that the underworld works in the game is that the the maps you go into are procedurally generated, so it's kind of random every time. You get a random set of enemies, a random amount of waves of those enemies, and you battle your way out of hell, basically. Um, and you fight a few bosses, you fight a few mini bosses along the way. It's a roguelike or roguelite. I don't remember what the difference is between the two, but you get power-ups along the way, and the power-ups kind of work together. I think it's considered um, a roguelite because you do get permanent upgrades. Okay, yes, I sure, think that's sure. What... So you, you get these upgrades along the way, which are called boons. You get them from other... Uh, mythological gods and goddesses. They, they're all incredibly sexy. They're all very reason. good looking. My god. Um, <laughs> my gods. Um, but like, for example, like you get a Zeus boon, it has something to do with electricity. You get an Aphrodite boon, it has something to do with like making your enemies weaker. Yeah, you um, sometimes enemies, you charm them. Yeah. And you combine these powers, but you don't always get a choice, right? Because it, there's a lot of RNG associated with the game. There's a lot of randomness. So you know, you get what you get. You try your best to make it out. There's a bunch of different weapons you can choose. There's a bunch of different upgrades you can add to Zagreus to get out. Um, but it's just really fun. It doesn't take that long to get out once you, you know, kind of get a little better at the game. It doesn't take that long to get out of the underworld. Um, but you can make the game harder for yourself because they've added these difficulty options, which in the game is called heat. And once you get really good at leaving... Uh, you can make it harder for yourself. Yeah, you unlock that, I think, after you actually escape the first or second time or something yeah. like that. Um, and so, yeah, that's what I've been playing recently. I've been trying to platinum that game. I'm about halfway through the trophies. There are 50 of them. Um, there's this list of like sub like uh, side quests in the game called the Faded List of Prophecies mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, in Greek mythology, the fates know everything that's ever going to happen. So they put this list out and you look at the list and you're like, one day Zagreus shall do this thing. And that's the theme of your subquest list, which I think is really neat. Most of the trophies have to do with just cleaning up all of those side quests. So all the ones that I have now are pretty easy. You know, escape the game, beat this boss, pet Cerberus 20 times, like easy stuff. Um, But then there's the, you know, unite these two characters that have been not with each other for a very long time. And that's your trophy. And it just takes time to do those things. But obviously, I recommend Hades. You guys all play it. You all love it. Yeah, I will. In, Gladly second that recommendation. Yes. In addition to being really fun, the game is beautiful. Yes. The style of the game is so pretty, and the voice acting is 11 out of 10. Oh, yeah. It is so... It's There are... I know there are people that play games for story. Some of them are sitting on the couch. Um, and there are people that just want to mash through the the dialogue in a game so they can keep playing the game. It's me. I think I'm somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. It just depends on the game. If the dialogue is really compelling, I'll stop and listen to it. Like God of War, I will stop and listen to. I won't get out of the canoe until they're done with the conversation. Even though they'll pick it back up later, I'll stay in the canoe until they're done talking and then I'll get out. Or like yeah. Portal 2, I'd make sure I listen. I'd find all the dialogue options I can. Mm-hmm. Hades, same thing. I don't care what they're talking about. I am going to listen to every single thing that they've put time and effort into because it's all so great and you could build relationships with yeah. the npcs mm-hmm. romances stuff yes. like that there's so so much depth to this game yep. yeah 
kind of makes it, it like a s- s- dating simulator on the side. In some yeah. ways, yeah. I mean, it, uh, it, it would perfectly be, optional. It would but... be almost criminal to have a Greek story like that mm-hmm. without it being a dating simulator yes. where you could yeah. date everyone. That's I mean, true. that's basically yeah. Greek mythology. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, um, yeah that's... It's a great all these different characters. Orpheus and Eurydice are in it. If you're mm-hmm. familiar with that story, um, yeah. the music is just incredible too. Yeah, and as the local uh, button masher, I who definitely missed the. Uh, there's a core element of the game that I completely missed because I mashed through the dialogue. <laughs> That's Robbie, and was making it harder on myself. Um, so I'll talk about like the gameplay is also fantastic. This is a great recommendation, Peaches. It uh, and in fact, side note. Um, we got a couple of listeners that I know are really, really, really like Hades, and I just told them in the background that we are uh, currently podcasting a bonus episode about Hades, and they're yeah, freaking out. So, hell yeah. So, so, LJ and Sandy, this episode's for you. Thank Peaches. You're um, welcome. But, uh, yeah, so a great recommendation. It was a game, it made me really excited, not just playing it, but as that year went on, and an indie game started getting hype for game of the year. And that was really, really cool to see. Yes. Um, I liked it, all the it, things that they ended up mm-hmm. winning and it, and it did win game of the year in quite a few yep. locations. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really between it and last of us part two, I think were kind of the, yeah. The uh, games that- last of us two. What else was that year? There was something else that year that last of us two, that was the ghost of Tsushima year. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm. And in so, fairness, I have not played those games, but right. Hades is my personal game. Yes. Of the Hades year. was my oh, game and animal crossing was the other big game. <laughs> what? That yes. Year, animal it was 2020. Crossing, yeah. What? Uh, I'll go first, but what are your guys? Oh, when Doom you, Eternal. When you play Hades, what is your preferred weapon? So that's what I was going to get into. Yeah. So I, I was load out. Boom, real quick, load I'll, out. I'll talk about like the gameplay as well is I won't go first. Um, it's a top down game, rapid movement, swarms of enemies, Tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of play style. So what Peaches is getting to is there's a handful of weapons. Then those weapons have a handful of subclasses. Um, and then as you go through the game, you get abilities that just are going to... Every playthrough is going to be fairly different. Now, once you get to know the game, you're going to start to be able to like, no, I'm holding out for this, you know, this power of Zeus so I can pair it with this power of Ares. But early on, it's really just... You- you're an Ares guy? I very specifically, <laughs> very specifically, I am an Ares and Artemis guy. What? Um, I so okay. Hold on, hold, Artemis. Okay. surprisingly good. So okay, I learned that the other day with the bow. You yeah. go all in on Artemis and Ares uh, boons, and you end up getting like Ares has this uh, hurricane of death, and it just starts pinning itself on enemies. And just, uh. I ripped wait like through. the blade, the blade yes. spin, yeah. like seeks them. I ripped through Hades. In seconds. With oh my that. god! Dude, in seconds. I really want to tell you about this run that I had the other day. Um, I was playing with the Lambent Plume, which is the. Yeah, G- thank you. Give me one second. Give me one second. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah go quick, ahead. Quick background, go everybody. Ahead. This is you meet the gods. The gods are trying to help you get out, and what it is is they give you abilities. Every time you meet one of them, they give you three choices of the dozens of abilities they have, and these abilities stack, they pair, and so what happens is you get abilities that end up being unique to that time you're playing through when you die you got to start over um and so you'll just end up with like one time what you've got is you're just doing a bunch of um like uh almost sort of spells on your enemies or one time you might have um just massive dps or another time you might be doing um area of effects so there's just also seeking weapons or you might be heavily melee so 
go go from there, Peach. Yeah, the my favorite run so far of this second playthrough I had, I I had the Lambent Plume, which is a gift that you get from Hermes. So you eventually, when you develop relationships with all these characters, they give you a gift. You equip one gift as you're going through your run, and then you get some other bonus thing applied to your character. So the Lambent Plume, what it does is every time you clear a room quickly, and it does not elaborate, it is just quickly, so you just try to do it as fast as you can, you gain 1.2% dodge chance and movement speed. Okay, cool. Well, you have to complete 48 rooms minimum to beat the game. Mm -hmm. So imagine that you, and some of those rooms don't have encounters in them. So let's say for the sake of just a nice round number that there are 30 rooms where you could earn the Lambent Plume bonus, which is like a considerable amount of dodge chance and movement speed. I was also getting other movement speed increase buffs. And then I got an ability from Hermes himself that said you gain bonus damage based on your increased move speed. So basically it was just a snowball from hell because I would clear a room quickly and then get the bonus to my move speed, which then put a bonus on my attack damage, which made me able to clear the next room even faster. That's amazing. And I killed Hades the fastest I've ever killed him. I, I don't I don't even know my and my character Zagreus was moving mm-hmm. on the screen so fast I could barely keep up with him. He was just all over the place. Turns out I watched a video last night on YouTube. That is like the speed run strategy right now. You can beat sense. Hades in like three minutes, mm-hmm. which is insane to say mm-hmm. out loud. Wow. Um with that boon and a bunch of other speed. And increases. by Hades you mean Hades the game, not Hades the final boss. Both. Well yes, we're all right. But <laughs> yeah. I know I've beaten Hades yeah. in faster than three minutes. But my yeah. the, the final boss. So but my personal my usual go to, I like the fists. Same. One of the six weapons is the fists of Malphon. I like the fists a lot. It's close combat. You put yourself um in danger a lot by being really mm-hmm. close, but they're very fast and if you have any debuffs at all, you apply them rapidly um, yes, and, I hated the fists yeah. until I realized I actually loved. The yes, fists. I love the fists are my go-to as well. <laughs> yeah, and the thing that I hold out for always is Poseidon's tidal dash. So oh, tidal yeah. dash. I was going to talk about that as well, tidal but in like the exact opposite because I would do the bow with tidal dash because it keeps everybody away from. Oh me. yeah, so I would just use the bow and then tidal dash, and it's kind of how I beat Hades mm-hmm. the first time. Was I just like kept my distance and played like a weenie and like <laughs> used title dash to keep oh, yeah. everybody off of me. I don't think there are other good dash abilities, but I don't think I think most of them don't hold a candle to title dash in my opinion. But I am also not a professional at this game. I just really like it. Yeah, I'm a fan of Hera's dash because it's a reflect. Ooh, so yeah. oh, Athena, I like Hera's reflect Athena, on the bow. I love reflect. Hera is not reflect on the bow, and you just start. Laying Hera down is sheets. not in the game. You're talking about Athena. Oh, Athena, that's what Athena, I meant. Athena, <laughs> Athena, oh, Athena. thank you. I don't know yeah, why you were I said talking Hera. about the daughter, not the wife. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I know uh, what you meant. The yeah, ref- Athena, yeah, that's yeah. that's my second choice because it's very it's a nice utility to be able to just dash into projectiles and not take damage. Yeah. I I would like to do the fists, and I forget which boon this was, but there's one where I, you eventually get an ability where you can do an uppercut and slam down and do area of effect damage. Mm-hmm. That's probably a hammer upgrade. I, uh, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, and um, you can get a boon where whenever you do damage, you heal yourself. Like yeah, that percentage. one is a sword hammer upgrade. Oh okay. Oh, maybe that's what Cursed I'm thinking of. Slash. Now. I get that one every time it shows up. Yeah. It reduces your health by sixty percent. Your overall base health by sixty percent, but every time you strike, you heal like yes, yeah, some amount. It and makes it makes uh, 
You just don't oh, I die. I can't even think about it. What, what's the what's the the it, last it makes the the um satyrs towards the end really easy. Yes, because oh, you just kind of get in the poison. middle of it and you just got, <laughs> even though they're doing damage, you just keep healing yourself. Yeah. Like throughout, you end up leaving them with more health than you started. Mm-hmm. And um, so I like the Artemis upgrade where whenever you attack. Um, arrows support fly fire. Out. Yeah, support fire. Oh. Go out and hit other people. Yes, I'm telling you guys, the- Artemis. I do Artemis. love support Artemis. fire. Yeah. I do Artemis. love support fire. Yeah. You. So a what are we? Three fists played. and a bow. Well, that- so I was real quick. <laughs> That's the name of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> oh so, no! Because my favorite fists are the ones with the the magnet. I can't remember which one. Yes. It is, oh yes. You bring yes. someone. You cutter. bring them yeah. to you and then hit them. And here's what I I've learned. What I've learned melts people in the game is, um, you get the you you turn on the. The ability that stacks, uh, that does extra damage when you stack um, debuffs. Debuffs. Yeah. yeah. And I'll get Ares's debuff, which is just constant damage, Doom, and then yeah. and then someone else's. Either either um, usually uh, um, Dionysus's uh, debuff. Oh yeah. And so what I'll do is I'll have Dionysus. One. Fa- you pick the three gods that I stay the most away from. <laughs> so so then I've got. That's the beauty of this game. So though. like I get Dionysus <laughs> on the magnet attack. And then Ares on the huh. on the main attack, and what happens is I pull them up, and they get one debuff. Punch them, they get another debuff. The Ares sword just keeps on hitting yeah. them while they've got another uh-huh. debuff, and then I don't fight them again. I just go on to something else, and so I just go through the room, just hitting everything twice, and they all eventually die. Dionysus is probably my least sought after. Dionysus boon is good paired with other boons. Yeah. I like his shot. I like Oh, uh, his shot is good. <laughs> where you throw the thing and then everyone yeah. in the area gets drunk. Yeah. That's another thing Trippy that shot. is something you learn in the game. You get that sh- the shot really early on. Uh-huh. And I don't know about you guys, but I did not use it at first. I think no. that's how Angela ended Same. up playing too. She wasn't using it and she's like, wait a minute, this is great. And it's, yes. yeah. it, it becomes incredibly important, yep. but you don't realize it because first off, there's just yep. so much going on that yep. you like uh-huh. can't even think about it. And second, it just doesn't seem like it would be that useful. And then once you start using it, you're like, oh wait, this is how I should have been right. playing from the beginning. Right, and you can start pairing it with abilities that start yeah. one hit killing things and then you clear out a couple things right when you step into a room yep. reload and start over so what do you do with the bow Let's stay very far away from okay. people yeah um, that, the Zeus chain like lightning the... was I thought pretty good with the bow if I remember I agree. correctly I agree and chain t- lightning is one of the top tier yeah in my opinion attacks yeah I, I just love chain lightning attacks I slightly off topic but in Dungeons and Dragons my character recently got a sort of an attack that you can chain to debuff and I used it in one session and then Cody message Cody is our DM friend of the show Cody and he's like hey so apparently all anyone talks about is how broken the spell is so <laughs> we're gonna um, nerf it a little bit and I'm like that's fine <laughs> so yeah that's Hades make uh, me want to go home and play Hades obviously obviously we all recommend it uh, I've had a lot of I'm gonna get that platinum trophy and I'm also been thinking about getting a Hades tattoo that's made it to my tattoo list so uh, I don't want us to run out of time who's going next Robbie what's next uh, so originally I was going to talk about Stray, but I haven't played it enough to actually like talk about it. So I'm going to recommend Stray, which everyone else is recommending. But what I'm really going to do is the other thing I'm spending my time on is, um, I'm going to recommend play a Legend of Zelda game. I don't care hey. which one. That's a good recommendation. I, I have been on a Zelda kick for a variety of reasons. I mean, I've been on a Zelda kick for most of my for life. For like, yeah, been, yeah, the last yeah. 25 years or so. I was going to say, like, you've been on a <laughs> but, Zelda kick but since but you were born. But very recently, I've been on an extra Zelda kick. My, my... 
my brother-in-law got me uh, one of those big old coffee table Zelda encyclopedias. Oh, nice. Read through it. Encyclopedia. Um, got a couple of those. And then uh, I got um, the SNES Switch controller. And then, so I've been playing, since that's so fun to play with, I've been playing with the Switch Online and one of the games I've been playing. I've been playing Link to the Past. Um, and at the same time as playing Link to the Past, I've also been replaying Majora's Mask because it's been a while. Mm-hmm. I got these, um, the Legend of Zelda Game <laughs> Watch. So I have been replaying uh, Link to or no, um, Link's You're awakening. waiting for it. It's I taking, almost said it. It I is taking said it. everything in me not to do it. <laughs> um, so, been playing several Zelda games all at once. Um, and then just today finished a. What am I missing? It's been these, a while. Oh, oh. Sorry. I'm sorry. My, I was white. going with these nuts. Oh. Oh. That's I, uh, not what. Okay. And That's weird that I went to that and y'all went to it. It's been a while. I was also, the last few days, I've been listening to, there's a podcast called Chat of the Wild where they replay Zelda games and talk about them. And I just finished their Wind Waker season um, on my way in today. Um, they, on your they, way in to the podcast? Yeah, I was, yeah. I, I've, I've been listening to it on my, my commute and today was the uh, last episode. Um, Soundlord, you probably should not listen to it because it was a season of all of them talking about how much they love Wind Waker, and then they replayed it and changed their minds when they got to the last half of the game. Really? Because I replayed um, it and thought it was great. Yeah. Did they replay the GameCube version or the HD version? Some of them played HD, some of them played GameCube. Okay. Um, Is there a big difference? They uh, So the GameCube Wind Waker, one of my all-time favorite games, just period. Um, but the it's the rare Nintendo game that they rushed out to hit a deadline. Yes, and you can tell that it's rushed. Because the second half of the game, in there were, there were like two dungeons I think they got cut. And what they end up doing is sort of this quest where you have to sail around looking for uh, shards of the Triforce. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a very kind of circuitous quest. They shortened that significantly in mm-hmm. the uh, HD version. Yeah, Is that for better or for worse? For better better i think so i think it's for worse okay it's but, been a long time since i played the gamecube version so i think well so okay i never see the thing is i, I think it's I was a bad never... solution to a problem yeah but because the original triforce uh search is good because it makes you explore the map and that game should make you explore the yeah map. the problem is the pacing the problem is that you go through the last two dungeons and then the game says now just cruise around and look for some stuff yeah they sped that up and that's probably good but really what should have happened is it sh- the quest itself should have just been handled better and been dispersed throughout the yes, game that is what rather than been done. all at the end of the game. Yeah, uh, that and they added in the HD version for the Wii U um, a sail that makes you sail twice as fast. That in itself might have been enough of a solution. But I, I agree with you yeah. that if it had just been a constant thing happening throughout the game, you would not have right. felt like, oh, they they cut out some stuff here at the end. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to get too much into it. Their issues were mostly just the same as mine from when yeah. I first played it, which is you get this kind of this peak moment in the middle of the game, and then then you can tell content was cut the yeah. rest of the game, and it kind of peters out as it goes on. It has one of the best final battles in all of So they agreed Zelda. with me and did not like it. Really? Yes. Okay. I was braced for them to like it and going to be, and then they also hated it. Interesting. I that is maybe my least favorite final boss in the franchise. You know, I've been waiting to play Wind Waker for a long time, and I think I missed my shot by not having a Wii U. Now, all, <laughs> all I'm going to say, Wind Waker is a good game. Yes. It is a, It was a very disappointing game to me. It is one of my least favorite Zelda games, but it is also still a very good game. Like, that, it's... it's um, sea of Thieves plus Zelda. I think, and, and here's where there's a little bit of a difference between me and Robbie sometimes. <laughs> Part of the reason I love Wind Waker is I think it is one of the best stories in 
the Zelda series. And the way it's presented, I, I adore the art style. I think the characters in the game are fantastic. The art style is phenomenal. Um, I, I think... The uh, music is phenomenal. There are really funny side characters, really quirky side quests and stuff. And that's all the stuff. Like, um, you've you've played through Breath of the Wild. So, you know the Terrytown quest, <laughs> which a lot of people will consider one of their favorite Zelda quests <laughs> of all time. It feels like the kind of quest that was pulled out of Wind Waker to me. Uh, because it's all about yeah. meeting weird people all around the map. In a lot of ways... <laughs> Except for sailing, in a lot of ways, Breath of the Wild feels like a Wind Waker that got finished to me. Interesting. Um, okay. But, um, so I think yeah. that's, that's good praise for maybe a backhanded double-edged sword. But I, think, a good... I think a Wind Waker that would get finished might have been my favorite Zelda when yeah. it was released. All of my problems with Wind Waker come down to yeah. it's glaringly obvious that it was rushed. And then it just comes down to how much is that going to affect the experience right. for right. you personally. Right. Um, again, not a bad game. Very, there are only, I think there are only two Zelda games, so I will not recommend the two DS games. Um, but go play a Legend of Zelda game. Um, I love the franchise and I've been replaying. You won't recommend Link Between Worlds? No, oh, he means, DS, uh, not 3DS. Oh, yeah, he means, uh, yes. Phantom Hour Glass Phantom Hour Glasses and Spirit Tracks. I was about to them. fight you physically. No. no, I will happily, uh, recommend Link I was about Between to Worlds. get up and use this mic stand. <laughs> But I've been having a good time playing multiple at a time um, and uh, reading that encyclopedia. Um, oh, and then, then the other thing is Zelda Hurdle. Um, I've been playing Zelda Hurdle where you, oh, play, yeah, that's fun. you guess Zelda music every day. Um, so that's been fun. Um, I've but fallen off the hurdles. I don't have necessarily details. I just really, really, really like Zelda games. I like exploration and puzzles, and they've got that. So does Stray, by the way. Um, mm. So Stray does not have dungeons. Stray looks good. Um, Peaches. What's your favorite Zelda game and why? Oh, it's it's Link to the Past, 100%. Why? Mostly because it's the first one I ever played, but also because I really love the randomizer. And I know that other I know that other Zelda games and other games in general have randomizers <laughs> now, but I just really like the the puzzly way it makes me feel and the way I it agree. challenges you. I agree. I I've been playing the um or was playing it's been several months since I've had time, but I was playing the Ocarina of Time randomizer. And I have played the Link to the Past randomizer as well. And Those I agree with that. Those take a lot longer though, right? The Ocarina? I'm certain, yes. Yeah. It, it probably, but it doesn't take me longer. So here's the thing. Yeah. I think the the puzzly aspect that you're talking about, I think it really hits when it's a game that you know well. Yeah, And that's it fair. forces you to search your knowledge of the game. Yeah. Like you are able to get through Link to the Past. I've played it a half dozen times, but you're able to get through Link to the Past in a way that I can't. Like I don't necessarily remember where things are. Ocarina of Time, I can tell you where every grotto is, where every heart yeah. piece is, where every... And so when I go into an Ocarina of Time randomizer, it's a test of my knowledge of that game's layout. And this is another thing I was recently talking about with my new coworkers. I really like my new job in yeah, this way. Good. Good We're you. Yeah, talking about uh, how much... I, I had a meet and greet with a guy and he's like, yeah, I spend a lot of time playing seeds with different people uh, at this company and we do different uh, link to the past stuff and I'm like ah okay yeah, <laughs> yeah hi, here I am hi you found your people yeah <laughs> Chris what's your favorite my favorite Zelda I mean I, I think Breath of the Wild is just an incredible achievement um, but aside from that I think Wind Waker interesting Honestly, yeah I know I'm weird I think part of it is that I had such a struggle with Ocarina of Time I got stuck in the I started playing it in fifth sixth grade whenever however old I was when it, when it came out I got stuck in the water temple mm -hmm. and didn't beat it until I was a freshman in college. I don't think that's really weird. There are plenty of people. I think Wind Waker ends up being very divisive and not divisive. And I don't think there's many people that hate it. But I think Wind Waker is very much a it is either your favorite Zelda game or it is. 
yeah. like as you like is low on your list of games that you also still happen to like like no i don't think many people yeah. hate it um and that's why honestly listening to this podcast ended up being um a little bit heartbreaking because the guy who was hosting it he's usually one of the contributors but he was hosting uh-huh. this episode because it was his favorite zelda game and by the end of the episode he was like almost in tears by how disappointed he was by oh, his replay. Oh man, yeah. that's a bummer. Yeah, it was so, I didn't actually like that. I wanted huh. to listen to three people just gush about Wind Waker. Yeah. I wasn't I can't actually think looking of for... a favorite thing that I have even outside of video games. A favorite thing that I have that I haven't done a thousand times. Yeah. It's weird that he went back and found out he didn't like his favorite thing. Yeah. And to be fair, yeah. just you know like I mean? me just yeah. like me, they did still end up liking it. Like they all in their final episode, like we do like this just way less than we remember yeah. liking it. Interesting. Um, it's like me booting up Bioshock for the seven hundred and fiftieth time, and, and being like, like you actually, know what? suddenly I don't like this very yeah. much. Which is to say, turns I don't... out Rapture sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm oh, sure I've Bioshock. got. I'm sure I've got some example, but um, but that's to say, I don't think you're weird. I just yeah. um, I disagree, but I know plenty of people on yeah, your side you're on weird. that. Um, there was a TikTok that was ranking. Zelda games and um, I think his opinions were wild but I started probably around eight started just getting surprised by how high Wind Waker was going to be <laughs> and then we got to two he got to two and still hadn't done Wind Waker I'm like what <laughs> that's funny well he had peaches he had linked to the past I think ninth oh wow that's yeah. a hot take I don't yes. respect yeah, that he person. had a lot of hot takes like Skyward Sword was like four um I, I Chris don't not saying that anything person. because I'm one of the rare Skyward Sword defenders too. I, I Skyward Sword. Do you is have fine. a favorite? I was I you was going to like, ask if you even have. a you favorite. You played like some Breath of the Wild, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> end of list. No, you played some Link to the Past with me. I've played Link to the Past. I've played Link Between Worlds. I've played Twilight Princess, uh, and I've played Breath of the Wild. I believe that is the the end of my Legend of Zelda list. Have you finished any? I've finished Link to the Past, and I okay. finished. Um, Breath of the Wild. Okay, and I will say, uh, you guys remember when this all when it came out on Switch? I wasn't as high on it as I everybody remember, else. Yeah, <laughs> I really didn't enjoy it. Part of it was because it came out alongside um, Mario Odyssey, and I was so <sighs> absolutely so in love with I Mario Odyssey. Adore Odyssey, and I almost had like I, I felt like Mario Odyssey was almost getting slighted because people kept talking about Breath of the Wild, and I was like, "Look, Breath of the Wild's great, but you guys need to talk about Mario Odyssey because this game is incredible." Um, and I also think this is going to sound weird, and maybe it's not actually going to sound weird. I don't know, but I think I played Breath of the Wild wrong the first time. Mm. Like I was playing the game like I play most open world things and i was trying to get to the end and that isn't Uh how you play breath of the wild years Mm -hmm. later i worked a job where i was a 911 operator and i was up in the middle of the night doing 911 and i would play breath of the wild there and i just like turned because i just had my switch with me because i would just do that in between calls whenever stuff would come and it was the middle of the night so we wouldn't get a ton of calls but in between calls i would just take out my switch and just do stuff uh-huh. in Breath of the Wild yep. and that's when I really fell in love with it. That's yeah. when it really was like, oh, this is what the game is. It's just, just play the game. Just do whatever you want and that's when it really kind of opened up for me. So I'd probably say Breath of the Wild. Yeah, what Breath of the Wild does that no other game has done for me, I think, because I remember saying, and this is maybe my hot take, was that Breath of the Wild made me feel the way that Ocarina of Time was supposed to make me feel. Mm-hmm. Um, the way everyone says Ocarina made them feel. And I granted, I was absolutely impressed by Ocarina of Time uh, you know, when it came out. But uh, Breath of the Wild is a game that gave me a feeling that I'd always wanted in a video game where they put you in a world and they're like, and now you go explore this world. You will eventually get to your goal, 
by exploring. And we all have our different Breath of the Wild stories of like, what what did you discover that really like blew your mind? And for me, it's a very simple thing. But I remember like crossing over this ridge and just seeing this gigantic decaying bridge. And it is the uh, bridge into the... Um, the bridge ridge. Terabithia. Uh, the yeah. ridge bridge. Into the Akala region. Mm. The one mm-hmm. that I thought was called Akala until... Um, Wait, it's Hyrule, Akala? And Hyrule Warriors, yep. um, they all pronounce it Akala, which doesn't make any sense to me, but okay. Uh, that's apparently what they were told to say. Well, so. I said I said Kakariko for a long time until <laughs> yeah. I was told it was Kakariko. Yeah. Um, huh. But yeah, and it's just this bridge that was too high for me to climb, but I did it anyway. I don't think I had the um, it wasn't Revali's Gale yet, um, but I just did everything I could to get to the top of this bridge, and you get to the top of the bridge, and there's this citadel uh, just beyond it, and it's like, oh my god, Like I had no clue that anything like this was even in this game. Hey Chris, how do you feel about weapons that destroy after a while? I'm fine with it. How do you feel about people that aren't fine with it? I think that it's fine for people to not like yeah. it, mm-hmm. um, but I, I, think, I think that it's overblown, the problem with it. Um, it I can be frustrating prob- when you run right. out of weapons. I think the problem is that there's really no gauge to it. You know, I think that if you could, if your warning see- was earlier than when it's yeah. got like one hit left. Yeah, I think that if like you actually could, my tweak to it would not be to get rid of it, but just to you know have them like physically decay as you're using them, so you realize, oh, this one's starting to get a little weak. Mm-hmm. I think my problem with it, and maybe I think peaches. If I'm going to think of anybody else that maybe has the same problem, it's going to be him. My problem with systems like that is that I will save the good weapon <laughs> until I absolutely need it and most, li- most likely never so use never it. Use yeah. it right. Because yeah. I will never find right. the time that is the correct time to use the good weapon. So I feel like I don't actually get to use the good yes. weapons. Well, that's in a the common game. Like, it, RPG problem. Right. It yeah. is, it is, the game is going Item to hoarding. force you, un- unless you're unwilling... Like you need to not become emotionally invested in this weapon right. and just use it. I think because they, a, yep. then the game just throws weapons at you. You're always going to replace that weapon. Yeah. I feel like Here's, the first time I encountered that was in playing Super Mario RPG. There's a, an item called Rock Candy, and if you use it, it does like 200 damage to every enemy on mm-hmm. screen. And I held on to those. Mm-hmm. So much. I was like that when I was younger. Here's how I would have done it, and I don't know if this would improve or not. I don't know how it would affect the. I don't know how it would affect every aspect of the game. I would, like you said, the more I use a weapon, maybe it starts doing less damage and less damage until it doesn't do any damage at all. Then it's considered broken, but it does not blow up like it currently does in the game. You can take it to a blacksmith. There could be blacksmiths in villages all across or at stables all across the game. And you could say, for this many rupees, repair this weapon that I like. And then you could keep that weapon, and you decide if it is at zero durability, it's not doing any damage, you can then choose to throw it, and if you throw it, then it explodes. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that that would necessarily break things, but I do think it might potentially run into you lose the main the main exploration reward of that game is finding weapons mm-hmm. and sure. so once you're just like well i've got a full inventory and i'm just going to hold on to these until i get them repaired no it'll be then, expensive then i think you start losing that reward it'll be expensive based it'll be more expensive based on the quality and damage of that weapon if it you also, hold on to a royal broadsword and I, i've got 70 right. damage on this royal broadsword yeah that's going to cost you a 1000 rupees to repair that I also just really liked, and your your solution wouldn't necessarily break this, 
But I really like that that game forced you. Like, you don't just pick, I have found, now found my favorite slash best weapon, and this is what I will use. Mm-hmm. It forced you to, like, nope, it's gone. Find another one. Yeah. Forced you to use the different weapon styles. Forced you to, use the, to sometimes have to think about how, and again, your solution wouldn't necessarily break this either. Forced yeah. you to have to think about, how am I going to approach this combat? Because I don't necessarily want to damage this weapon. Or yeah. I don't. Or, and it, the more different kinds of weapons you use, the more opportunities you find to use them. Like, my... Mm-hmm. Uh, strategy with the Hinox is to uh, do a uh, uh, put on my barbarian armor, which mm-hmm. buffs your attack, and you know um, maybe do another thing that buffs your attack, like eat something, mm-hmm. and find the best spear-based weapon that I have. Mm-hmm. Sneak up to it, charge it up, yes, and then yep. just jab it a million really times, well. and it will die before it actually gets a chance to wake up. Mm-hmm. You know, and and you know using spears, I think when you're on horseback is great too if mm-hmm. you're fighting other enemies that are on horseback mm-hmm. now uh, if this were elden ring every fanboy online would be like you're playing wrong yep correct you have to let the high Ox wake up you have to take all your armor off correct. you have to use the mm-hmm. dull end of the spear and hold the pointy end yes um, <laughs> and it, Which, uh, if it looks at you you die to you <laughs> so it's time for my recommendation um and robbie i know you've played at least one of these games so far um and so i i've been playing them but uh, I've been playing the Middle Earth Shadow of series, oh. so I played Shadow of Mordor a few years ago, loved it, and then um, I've been recently, just recently, like as in like a week ago, started playing Shadow of War. Um, and to talk about these games, I really need to talk about the inception of Lord of the Rings. So let's start off with. Uh, Are you making fun of me? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, back in World War One, uh, <laughs> Professor J.R.R. Tolkien. <laughs> Um, so for those of you that don't know, the Shadow of War series is another game. It was the first game made by WB with a lot of similarities to the Batman Arkham series yeah. in the Lord of the Rings universe. And so you play a ranger whose body has been inhabited by a ring wraith. Um, I guess he's just a wraith. He's not necessarily a ring wraith. He's, he's, I mean, technically he's the ring maker wraith. Whatever. Doesn't matter. Spoilers. Uh, his, his name is Calibrimbor. Um, Bless you. And he is the ring maker. He is the one who made all of the rings. He's going to be a character in the new Amazon show, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And so is Pretty Sauron. Uh, and Eminem <laughs> Sauron. He, and to be fair, the, the in Shadow of War in Mordor, Pretty Sauron is in that game. Oh, he's not like a character. He's in more in like flashbacks and stuff. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, but those games, they do two things really well. One, uh, the combat. I feel like that flow, I forget the way they call it, free motion combat, some, I forget exactly the way that it's called, is a very underutilized combat system. You've got it in the Arkham series, yeah. Spider-Man, and this game, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And it feels like one that you could add into a ton of games. Yeah, and it would work works combat. so well yeah. in the Spider-Man games. Yeah. yeah. And it works. Arkham as well. Yeah. It works really well in the in in Shadow of uh, cool. in Shadow of, of Mordor and Shadow of War. The second thing that it does, and it, this is it is it is patented, so literally no yes. other game can do it. And it's frustrating that it's patented because it's so cool. It is the Nemesis system. Yes, and it is this oh, system yeah. in which any enemy that you fight can basically become your nemesis, and can, you can like have relationships with the different. Not relationships is a weird word, but uh, follow me here if you can. Um, you can have these sort of like long-standing, um, like rivalry, rivalries and mm-hmm. stuff with different guys. And so, like, if you get beat on accident, say you're fighting and you encounter too many orcs, and a random orc kills you, 
he can then get promoted to a captain and he'll show up again and he'll be stronger. Mm -hmm. Or you can kill one and then he comes back. You like cut off his arm. So he comes back and he's got a metal arm now. And he's like, Ryder, you killed me once, but I'm back again. And they always say like, (laughs) really, they've got that fun, you know, orc accent, you you know. And Dick Van Dyke and Mary Poppins. They they they're yes. all Oy. they're it's like almost like they're all procedurally generated, but they all have like different voice acting personalities. Mm-hmm. They all have different um, weaknesses and strengths, so you have mm-hmm. to like combat them differently. Yeah. The second uh, game, Shadow of War, was I think uh, mired at the time because at the time the end game was full of like loot boxes, and so it had this like you had to play in their weird that like fort control mode to get the true ending of the game by buying a bunch of loot boxes and so the game (laughs) was not well received it has since been fixed and you can get the true ending by just playing the game Mm -hmm. you cannot buy loot boxes in the game any like you can't buy them with real money anymore so this is this was not the mmo i thought you were talking about the mmo at first no 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 no, no. this is the, the 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 action Sure. This is, do you remember when you lived with me for Christmas well, and I spent I all day playing a computer game? Yes. It was the. It was I, this. That's how this I remembered it. the Nemesis thing because yeah. yes. you told me about yeah. it. And it is an incredible system. And like mm-hmm. I'm like they're using it in the Wonder Woman game that WB's making are right they? now. Yeah. I I'm like oh. underselling it because it's so incredible. Yeah. Uh, the well, w- and it creates like a hierarchy. Like as these enemies become named and have specific powers there starts to become a hierarchy of enemies that you you know are rewarded for fighting through yep. is it as weird? you kill one another one levels up yeah. like it's your enemies leveling up against you right it's almost like an inverse rpg in that yeah. way is it it's, weird that they can that that can be patented i am i am it is weird so yes. against patent where's game bailey mechanics. i yes. wish bailey were here because i know that she would go off on this with me i don't think i knew it was patented i knew it gets talked about as yeah. the way it's talked about makes sense like it's talked about as you know quote unquote a thing so uh, that's probably yeah. I just missed the fact that it was it, literally like, patented. Imagine yeah. if Nintendo patented Cappy. Imagine Dragon <laughs> in Mario Odyssey, or, or or even more simply, imagine if Nintendo I'll patented Jump on Thing and it dies. Yeah, like, exactly. Like it feels like it's a basic mechanic <laughs> that someone can use. <laughs> I was trying to sing it. I know the, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no. I, I mean, I. It's hard. It's not so much that I think you're underselling it; it's that I think it's almost kind of hard to describe it without is. playing it. Well, and it's one of those games where the reason it's so special is because you're creating your own stories yeah. with this nemesis system. Correct. You are developing this relationship yep. with this with these other orcs that no one else is doing. Your game is is unique to you because right. of the experiences yeah. you're having and when you have died, when you have killed these orcs. So my issue with uh, Shadow of Mordor ended up being similar I think to the things that I was just saying about Wind Waker which is again I I actually did like it um but I think it peaks early like yeah. when the early on the nemesis system is so cool and so clever and as you're learning the combat and as you're exploring the the map it's so cool as you get towards the end of that game, the nemesis system stops mattering. It's because like, they like they end up picking a nemesis yes. for you. By the end, the one that you've interacted with the most becomes your like he like becomes part of the story of the game. Mm-hmm. And so they'll like be like at, near the final battle, they'll be like, "Here's your your champion. To, here's our champion to fight against you, and it's mm-hmm. your nemesis, the guy that uh, you've been seeing yeah. throughout the whole game." Yeah. But uh, it, it hmm. stops early on or through the first half or so of that game. 
your time is going to be taken up by dealing with your your these orcs, these named orcs and their ranks. And, and then towards the end of the game, that just, A, you start to get OP, so you start to just slaughter them. Yeah. And B, it just becomes less important. And then the game kind of peters out. It doesn't it doesn't have a final boss. It has quick time events. And oh. yeah. The, the final boss is really bad in that yeah, game. I will, I will admit And so that. It, it's weird that it is a game that is worth playing, but it does not end on a high note it's it's great early it's it's such a bummer when a great game has a lackluster final boss like yeah. you're uh, just gonna say quick time events well and this was a bioshock time. <laughs> is an example i could think of well and this was definitely the time in history where huh. for whatever reason developers were thinking think bosses are bad let's not have bosses and i don't know lackluster? where that came from but i think part of it is because it is difficult maybe that is the crux of those free motion games i think at the time it was difficult to think of a a boss that works well in that system. Yeah, and, and, like I, I think the the Arkham games, especially the Arkham games that had come before it, were good. But also, it was a little difficult to find a boss that works in that system. So they just had yeah. to throw a bunch of mooks at you, and then you fight the yeah. big guy, and then they throw more mooks at you. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's actually probably an excellent point because, and I also think some of it, not so much with Sh- with Arkham or with Shadow of War, Shadow of Mortar. I also think part of it is as games became more more like a story, more like a realistic experience. It starts to become, well, bosses are weird. So um, getting back, FromSoft is often credited with the revitalization of bosses in games. But I think a lot of that is to your point because their combat system works really well. Right. For, it's here's like, a giant yeah. thing. You it's just basically gotta hit until designed it to fight yes. bosses. I think, so, I think Metroid, another good example of a yeah. game that like thrives on having great boss yeah. fights. Yeah, that's Hades has great boss fights. Yeah, Hades, 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 Hades another has another one. Look at what we accidentally did fights. here. Cuphead. Cuphead, oh, yeah. oh, Cuphead almost Cuphead butt boss fight. He is entirely amazing. fantastic <laughs> boss fights. Um, well, and also um, more popular in Japan uh, until recently, it became popular in the U.S. But also, Monster Hunter is basically just yeah, boss Monster fights. Hunter. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Monster, Monster Hunter, Hunter yeah. at its Great core example. is basically just a boss rush game. Uh huh. Um, so I do want to I do want to mention mm-hmm. Shadow of War. Uh, it, like I said, it was not well received when it came out because of some issues it had with microtransactions. Those have all been fixed. That game is very good, yeah. and I, I would I would say you should play those games back to back because it basically picks up right where this first one left off, mm-hmm. uh, story wise and combat wise. Like you have a lot of the abilities. Like the first one, you are dealing with small groups of orcs and mm-hmm. you are taking them down. This one, it almost feels like it continues on because you are immediately thrust into very large groups of orcs. You are dealing with fortresses. You are dealing like it is a continuation of that game in every sense. Um, And it is very, very cool. It also uh, expands the nemesis system. The orcs now can like betray each other and they can like climb ranks by being sneaky. You uh, start uh, like you eventually get this power where you can make an orc army of your own. So these guys, these nemesises, you can then like bring over to your side. Like I'm not going to them. Yes. And I'm not going to, it is, there's an in game reason why it makes sense. Mm. Um, and I'm not going to say what it is cause it's kind of a spoiler. Mm. Um, but with this thing that you get, you can then bring orcs to your side. So you eventually have an orc army, but those orcs, including the captains that you recruit that are like the nemesis from the first game, um, can betray you. And so it creates this really fun, interesting system. Also, the orcs, and this has been a thing in both of these games, the orcs in these games have such 
funny personalities. Yes. Yeah. They're all so <laughs> wacky and fun. They've all got those like funny accents. You know, we got the, the little like goblin looking orcs that are like, Oi, why'd you do this to me? And they've got the like <laughs> we the really ain't high had nothing but maggoty bread for three <laughs> full days. And they're so funny. And that's where the game is at its strongest, where you're just playing it and you're you're fighting these orcs and you're just like making your own game. The, it is significantly stronger narrative wise, except the fact they made Shelob hot. So, um, <laughs> so I was, that's what I was going to uh, talk about. So I have Shadow of War, spider? and I, I want to go it yet, but now. Yeah, so she, hold on. They, uh, they, uh, what's her name? What's the the one from uh, Fantastic Beasts? Uh, Nagini. They Naginied her. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's really weird. So that was one thing I was going to say. I think I think Eduardo and I are the only Tolkien nerds here. Yeah. So I will warn anyone who's listening to this recommendation and is a Tolkien nerd. If you're one of those people that needs something to stick to canon, uh, no. This is not it's, the game for you. So Shadow okay. of Mordor played a little bit loose with the canon, but mostly it just kind of filled in some gaps. Mostly it just right. said, this was never explained, so we can go ahead and have uh, Celebrimor become a wraith. Like, no one ever said otherwise. Then Shadow of War, I, I have not played it, but I went ahead and watched all the cutscenes one day. Hmm. Shadow yeah. of War just goes, you know what? Nah, we're just going to do our own thing. Yeah. I personally... That's fine. It's not the movies. It's not like yeah, that's, I, I think that's fine. I just like game. living in the world and just accept it as this is a spinoff. It is 100% not canon. Don't care. But I definitely know that there are some Tolkien nerds that anything that it that ever contradicts anything that J.R.R. wrote, they're going to have a problem with. And so mm. games probably not for them. But Eduardo's right. Shelob turns into a hot girl. And talks to you yeah. and hits on you. Yeah, uh, it's Webb. very scary. I am uncomfortable, and I get I get real conflicted feelings from uh, playing that video game. I'm more uncomfortable. Did you guys know they're making a There's a Gollum game coming out. I did. I did yes. hear that. Yeah. And so, and what what I find really cool about the Gollum game uh, is that they are not taking any inspiration from the movies. They are all, the, all of the art. Everything is being gathered and being created directly from the books. And while they will still have some inspiration because it is very hard to sort of remove that imagery from your brain, it is not going to be like a – like Shadow of War and Shadow of Mordor are in the style of the movies. They are basically the movies if the movies had an extra spinoff video game, Mm -hmm. whereas this new Gollum game is going to have – the art and everything, the direction of it is going to be a lot more focused on what the, the they, they said in the books. You know, it's that's interesting, and I wonder how similar it's going to end up being just because I... No, I haven't actually read Lord of the Rings, but I did read The Hobbit when I was in middle school. Oh, I forgot about the other one that's really cool that's coming out. No, continue talking. Oh. I'll talk about this in a second. Okay. Um, but yeah, I read The Hobbit in middle school um, before the movies, Lord of the Rings movies came out, or at least before the second one, because I read it before... Gollum had actually been in the in the films. And Gollum in the movie at least sounded almost exactly like what I imagined Gollum sounding like when I read the book. I thought they did a really good job of like, you know, plucking the character from the books and dropping him in the movies. Uh, but I'm I'm really interested to see what a different take on it, especially when that film character became so iconic. They're also creating a four player survival game. Uh based off of uh, rebuilding the minds of Moria. So you will play one of four dwarves and you will go and try to survive in the minds of Moria. Rock stone! Exactly! (laughs) For For Carl! Carl. (laughs) But that, but literally in Lord of the Rings. Uh, No, wait, I want that. (laughs) And that's coming out that's going to be on the Epic Game Store. And I'm very, very excited. You're going to like forge armor and fight orcs and trolls and all kinds of stuff. Oh, Another thing about Shadow of War that I haven't gotten there yet, but there is a point where you fight a Balrog. 
I'm down. And I'm very I'm excited for that. Huh. So, listeners, we're going to take a, a quick break, and we will be back with part two of this bonus episode. Uh, this has taken way longer, but I Sorry. think <laughs> I don't think anyone is going to object to more content. So, no. we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment with uh, part two of our recommendations. And we are back at it for part two of this uh, Squad Up bonus episode. We're going to go on with our next recommendation. Chris, what is your next game recommendation? My next game recommendation is going to be another video game, and it's actually one I haven't played in a long time, but it is one of my favorites. Uh, And I'm going to talk, I won't talk nearly as at length as I did about the Metroid series, but I am a big fan of the Ace Attorney series. Objection. Overruled. (laughs) Uh, sustained hold it um so the ace attorney series and i'm going to focus on the first three games in the series uh the phoenix Wright ace attorney uh the original trilogy because that is available basically on every platform ever yeah uh as a collection of the first three games uh phoenix Wright ace attorney uh phoenix Wright ace attorney uh justice for all and phoenix Wright ace attorney trials and tribulations and they are, you play as Phoenix Wright, the titular ace attorney. Hmm. The what Titular. Titular. I hardly know you <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> He is a defense attorney. And in each, uh, it's uh, episodic. And I guess it's probably best described as a visual novel, although there are a lot of kind of puzzle elements to it. Puzzle elements. Puzzle elements. You heard me. <laughs> and... <laughs> You uh, you'll take on a case, and there will be investigation phases where you will actually go out to like the scene of the crime, and you will look for evidence. You will talk to people, and then you will then have a courtroom segment where you are cross-examining all the witnesses, and you have to find the inconsistencies in their uh, in their testimony. Like they'll say something, and if you have a piece of evidence that contradicts it then you can object and present that evidence and then you will get more information. And the goal is that you will eventually Perry Mason it and actually find the re- get the real criminal to uh, confess on the stand. So it is a lot of fun. The it's very funny. Like the games are really funny, really weird, wacky characters, but also there's, there are some really emotional moments in all the stories as well. And the music is just phenomenal. Great soundtracks, all of those games. And and there have been many more sequels. There are, I don't even know how many are up to at this point. But uh, some like eight or nine, I think, plus a crossover with Professor Layton. Um, but they are just a lot of fun. And like I said, they're available. They're available on mobile. They're available on Switch, PlayStation, Xbox. Uh, they were originally released in Japan on the Game Boy Advance and then re-released on the DS in the United States. And now you can, like I said, just get the whole collection of the first three games on basically every system. And just just a lot of fun. I really enjoy them. They're really unique games. Uh, very different from any other game that I you know, typically play. And, uh, you know, it's fun. You know, it's kind of a fun logic puzzle, you know, investigating these these crimes and trying to find the contradictions trying to remember what evidence you have that will uh prove your case and you know, it's just a lot of fun 
Remember when they added Phoenix Wright to Marvel vs. Capcom 3? Yes, yes. It's also really fitting that you talk about Phoenix Wright right now because we just came back from a lunch of delicious burgers. (laughs) Okay, so the joke there, for those of you at home, is we actually had sushi. And peaches. Yeah, and, and peaches. We actually had sushi for lunch. Now, the games very clearly are set in Japan. When they localized the first one for the United States, they changed it so that it was set in California. Every reference to sushi in the original script was changed to burger. (laughs) But as the games went on, it became harder and harder to justify that this was actually happening in the U.S. Because, like, in the second game, you go to a very Japanese village on top of a mountain where this family of psychics live. And it's just (laughs) hilarious how obviously Japan it is. And how much they do to make it sound like it's the U.S. Uh, so that's a fun thing. Why would they need to change the location? Because uh, companies are weird. Are weebs, Peach. Yeah, yeah they, they. I think they thought no. that it would appeal to more people if it were, were relatable to Americans. Yeah, like Phoenix Wright, attorney. Almost did. certainly an executive level objection. Absolutely. Your decision. honor, it's like uh, California. <laughs> He's a spiky haired anime lawyer. I I, some I, I mean, it's, like, it's like you're not going to trick anybody and <laughs> saying, well, this is American. <laughs> I will buy it. <laughs> do, you, do you not like my California accent, bro? <laughs> what do they want? Do they want people think to think it's an accurate representation of the American legal system? It is so not an accurate. <laughs> I believe it's actually a slightly more accurate representation of the Japanese legal system. Like, not exactly, but uh, their investigations are much more prosecutor-driven over there, I believe. So, uh, yeah. in this game, when you're, like, confronting people and you find out they're lying because you retained information that you read... Uh-huh. How do you go about accusing them of anything? Do okay. you have to type in a prompt, or is there like multiple choices where you can be like, "You're lying. You're telling the truth." All right, so they're they're. Uh, I'm they, over here. They will go through their testimony, and <laughs> like it's in little segments. Like they'll say something, and then you scroll through to the next thing that they say, push through the next thing, and so on until it ends. And you can, uh, I think they call it push on any of them, and like question them on something and they will give you more information Mm. and if there's a contradiction you can object by presenting evidence and back on the ds you could actually use the microphone to yell objection oh shit which is very cool um and how reliable is that because remember earlier when we were talking about the uh the zelda ds games uh uh spirit tracks had and this is actually why i didn't finish spirit tracks this is this is the reason that and that it wasn't a good game, but I was going to brute force it anyway because it's a Zelda game. Spirit Tracks had a mechanic where there was um, uh, what's a there was a pan flute as mm. the the magical, um, the magical instrument in that game. Is there a and you had to actually flute? play the pan flute by blowing into the microphone, and it was so touchy oh, and unreliable that it made the game. I feel like WarioWare did stuff like that. It oh, did, yeah. and it yeah. did it much better. Yeah, yeah. the WarioWare games are actually good. <clears throat> yeah, I think the problem that. with the pan flute is that you had to like somehow blow into this while also making sure you were on the right. Do you guys remember the Guitar Hero for the DS? Yes. The one oh, that would yeah. snap to the back of it, and then you had a little stylus pick? I didn't I trust think. myself <laughs> on that shit. I remember that. I don't think I ever played it, but I remember no. that. So anyway, how reliable was the objection yelling? Um, Reliable enough. Okay. But there was also a button option if you weren't in a place where you could actually yell objection like at a your button. DS. Option, dude. 
I don't know. Yeah. What, I don't know what bit you're doing to be honest. Like with peaches you. with Metroid I'm Prime. I'm sounding like a Californian. Option. Why? Because that's where Phoenix Wright, an Ace Attorney, is set, bro. Have a burger. I <laughs> guess <laughs> uh, the the famous California saying, "Bro, have a burger. Put an egg and some avocado on it. It's better if you get it animal style." <laughs> that is what they say in California. Do you want some stale fries, my guy? I, I will defend the animal style, though. I'm a big fan. No, me too. Me too. Uh, Peach, like what's your next recommendation? <laughs> oh, we're moving. Okay. Yeah. All oh, right. Please. I'm moving on from video games because this is a podcast, a bonus podcast about games, games of all kinds. Hey. And um, the second thing I want to recommend is a board game. I just, you know, if you're listening to Assembly Required, I think that's really the only way you'll get here. Uh, you may remember in the last episode or so, I talked about uh, how I'm moving and how it's been very stressful. You also talked about this board game. I did talk about this board game, but I'm going to elaborate on it. Um, so I've been moving. It's been stressful. And you know, the thing that everybody does when you're already stressed about money everyone, is you just buy more things with the money that you probably don't have because you have to buy a couch and movers and trash can. internet and a trash can. <laughs> And so the other day I was sitting there stressed about moving costs and I went to Dice Throne's website and they have a uh, Dice Throne. I explained this too in the last episode. They have like these, the the way that they sell their game, the, the thing I'm recommending is Dice Throne. The, <laughs> the way they sell their game is in these 1v1 like packages basically. So you buy a, uh, I think the first one Eduardo bought was Gunslinger versus Samurai. Yep. And so one person, it's a, it's a yacht, it's battle Yahtzee is basically the a good quickest way to describe Dice Throne. Um, and so one person plays a samurai, the other one plays as the gunslinger and you take turns with basically Yahtzee rules and it's then kind you of attack as, each other. It's kind of as close as you can get to fighting game as a board game. Yeah. And so they sell these individual 1v1 where you get these characters. They also sell battle chests. Uh, the battle chests, they've they've divided up the characters they've created into seasons. And so each battle chest has eight characters. One season is all eight characters. They have two seasons worth of battle chests right now. And in nine days, I think, it uh, depends on when you're listening to this. But from the day we're recording this, nine days from now, they're dropping a Marvel set, uh, which, funny, ties into Assembly Required, uh, where you can play as like Thor, Loki, Captain Marvel, Miles Morales, etc., I bought all three of the battle chests because I was stressed. Uh, I will not disclose the amount of money that it takes to afford all three battle chests, but you can go to Dice Throne, Dice Throne's website and look it up. The point is, I recommend the game. It's really fun. It's a quick game to learn. Uh, the artwork on the game is really great. If that's a thing you care about, I think it's a really pretty game. It's a really, It's one of those very intuitive games. I think that tabletop game designers are getting a lot better at designing intuitive boards where like you know they teach you about a rule and there's a symbol associated with that rule and then you see that symbol on the board somewhere once you already understand the rules and you're like ah this helps me remember like stuff like that um so it's an intuitive game it's very easy to learn all the characters that i've played at as so far are really like i don't know if they're all good but they're cool like the they're all very unique they're yeah they're unique like um Let's see, we played Gunslinger Samurai, we played Treant, and uh, who comes with the Treant? Ninja. And then Paladin and Monk, who are both OP as hell. Yep. 
And then before I bought this battle chest, I also got uh, the barbarian and moon elf, um, you know, and bundle. Those, and those were the first ones. That, that were, yeah, that was season one, pack one. So, uh, but I haven't played as them yet, so I don't know yeah. if they're fun or not. But I'm really looking forward to the Marvel one. And I, the the cool thing about it is, I think it probably functions best as a one v one game. But you can play it with up to six people. You can play like a King of the Hill mode where you're always, whenever it's your turn, you have to attack the person with the most health. Um, there's a 2v2 mode um, where, you know, you're on a team with somebody and you can target whoever you want on the other team until they're dead and then move on to the next guy, whatever. There's also, if you're a fan of dungeon crawler style games, they have Dice Throne Adventure, which I did not buy. It's the only thing on their website I did not buy the other day, uh, which is just that it's a dungeon crawler but you get to play as one of those characters from the actual game so you take you know the mat and the dice of that character and you use them as a character in your role-playing game basically um it looks really fun i i would like to see how everybody plays before i commit to dice turn adventure i would like to see the baby I would. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's really fun, and if you just want to get, you don't have to go crazy like I did and buy, uh, you know, three different battle chests. If you just want to get one of the packs that comes with two of the characters, it's like thirty bucks. Well, and it's like a really good game for two people. I find yeah. that games for two people are kind of hard to come. They by. are very few and far between. You know, you can talk about Seven Wonders Duel is probably like the the pinnacle of yeah. like a of a a two player game, but. Besides that, like a lot of these games that like market themselves as two to however many players, it it doesn't really mean two to however many players no. because if you play it with two, it, it doesn't it doesn't the mechanics don't work the way they're supposed to without three to four people a lot of the times. Yeah, a lot of games too will have like if you have two players, use this rule variation. Yes. Yeah, but they I don't, don't like those. Yeah, they almost well that's don't what Seven Wonders make was. Up enough. That's why they made Seven Wonders Duel. Which yeah, is a good solution. Yeah. They 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 typically don't do enough yeah. to make it feel like a competitive enough thing. You not know, to, I don't I don't know. Not to distract from Dice Throne, but I'll tell you, um, there's a TikTok How that's dare games you. for two and they literally it is just reviews and advice for games for two players. Oh, um, we found a lot of good suggestions on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe there are maybe there are more good one V one games out there now, but it feels like there didn't used to be. It was like no, was like it, the only it used thing to I be cared a about. Serious problem. It's a somewhat recent thing to yeah. be fixing that. But no, I it highly it recommend it. Just Twilight Struggle. I and like I said, you can't really go wrong because it's like thirty bucks for one of the packs. So yeah. get some characters, try them out, and if you hate it, you didn't really lose that much. Just thirty bucks. Just thirty bucks. <laughs> it could have been four hundred. Well, and it's it, it, like you said, it's a really easy game to pick up. They have these like so you play with a set of dice, you have a deck of cards, and then you have this like game board. And as you're playing, you're drawing cards and. Uh, the game board has like slots almost, like different panels, and your cards sometimes can upgrade. Uh, like the the your panel tells you what to do and like what your character can do, and you can upgrade different parts of your board by laying the card on top of the last move. It'll have like upgraded oh, yeah. moves of yours that you can use to upgrade your board. I guess I could describe how it is like Battle Yahtzee. You you know you're rolling up to three times, right? Yeah. You keep the dice you want to keep, and then. 
the move that you use against your opponent is just something that corresponds with the result that you rolled. Right. right? There are like symbols on each of the dice yeah. as well as numbers. So if you roll all sixes, that is a like like you do that that character's ultimate move. Like it hits for a lot of damage. It can't be blocked. It does some special stuff. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you don't roll that well. You roll like a small straight. Okay, what does a small straight do? It's different for every character because it's not one of those games where. It's a bunch of different characters, but they all play the same. Everyone plays completely different. Yep. They all have a unique set of moves. You know, the treant moves are different from the paladin moves. The treant was crazy because he's got like these like tokens that like level up, and they're like all little was, sapling guys. He, he was he was a complicated hero. Yeah, I like. I don't. Him so I must have. Did you play treant or did I play treant? I played treant. I was ninja. Yeah, because I wanted to play the treant. I don't remember that game. No. Yeah. I was the samurai and I was the paladin. Yes. Yeah. But no, you were the gunslinger. I was the samurai. No. You were the gunslinger. I was the gunslinger. Yeah. God, you slang bad. the guns. Yeah. I'd be slanging, bro. I'm <laughs> I'm really looking forward to that. Why I mean, that make me uncomfortable? <laughs> I mean, obviously, we're Marvel fans here, so I'm very much looking forward. And I want to play like every single one of those characters. I wonder how they all work, but like I said, Thor, Loki, obviously, like, uh-huh. really cool. We got Miles Morales coming in and Captain Marvel, the other two I already said. Nice. Doctor Strange and Wanda. Ooh. And then, um, uh, Black Widow and Black Panther. Yep. So, all really cool casts. Uh, I want to know how they play. Uh, I don't know when I'll get it because, like I said, Nine days from now is when it drops. I don't know if I'll actually receive it in nine days, like based out of the U.S. Yeah. Not in the U.S. They are outside of the U.S. That's it. I like Dice Throne. One day we'll play that. Robbie, the pe- people wh- that aren't Eduardo <laughs> and I. Robbie, what's your next recommendation? Speaking of games that are good for two players, uh, so I came with a board game too. Um, this is... Not really off the beaten path. This is a, a game that's become so successful it's fairly mainstream now. But I'm going to recommend Wingspan if you haven't already played Wingspan. Um, so uh, Wingspan is a board game where you thematically, and, and as I think most people know, thematics are not necessarily what I care about. But thematically what you're doing is you are putting birds in a bird sanctuary. Um, mechanically, it is an engine building game. Where there's a big old deck of different birds, and it's um, American birds. They're all very, very pretty artwork. They all have little facts about the birds on them. Um, but it's a big old deck of birds, and what I really like about it, and this is also something a moment ago I mentioned Twilight Struggle is a good 2v2 game. Um, similar to Twilight Struggle, it is a big deck where every card is unique. Now, some of them are fairly similar. Um, but there's a small difference here or there, either cost of card or points on card. But all the birds have different powers. And so, you know, you play the, you know, the robin and the robin, I don't remember, no one quote me on this, but the robin, you know, gives you extra food. Um, and then the there's birds that give you food. points and birds that give you all sorts of things. But so what's going to happen is on your turn, you are, you can play a bird. Or you can activate one of the locations in your sanctuary, which is there's the forest, there's the field, and there's the um, the wetlands. And some birds can live in only one of those locations. Some birds can live in multiple. And as you play those birds, um, 
you start to build an engine. If you've never played a, a, an engine building game, what's happening is what you're trying to do is you're trying to put together parts that when you take a turn, several things happen. So when you start the game, you're not able to do much. But eventually, you might be able to turn your wetlands into every time you take a turn in the wetlands, you get a bunch of cards, you get a bunch of food, you get a bunch of points, you get a bunch of eggs, which are, are, are a, a currency in the game. Um, and it makes it, essentially, it's efficiency the game. So I like it. Um, but it's really, really fun. I really like the different, uh, the way it plays differently every time because there are some optimal strategies, but you can only do so much to get to the optimal strategy because you have very little control over what birds you're going to end up with. And you don't have enough turns in the game to kind of hold out for the best bird. And there are some birds that are better than others, but you don't have the ability to wait for them. Um, there's a, there's a, uh, when you are drawing birds, there are three birds available. So you get to see three that you can pick from. And then there's a, a, a blind stack. So you can pull from the top of the blind stack. So you can go blind if you want. But for the most part, what you have to do is you have to adapt, which is a, a I really like games that make you adapt to what you have rather than allowing you to kind of lay out the strategy you want. And it forces you to think through, this is what I've got. I'm not going to waste turns trying to get better. So I got to figure out how to make the most of what I do have. And I really like that. It makes you think on the fly. Um, <laughs> it's a bird even, game. Didn't even mean to. That's great. Nice. Um, and you have to be able to wing it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's less a game. Of, the chicken. It's less a game about strategy. <laughs> it's less a game about strategy, more a game about tactics. Um, it scales very, very well. Um, Aluma Wadi. <laughs> so it's Wrong great show. with two. It's great with two players. Um, it's a fairly short game, especially once you know what you're doing. It moves really quickly. You end up taking, oh shoot, you take 26 turns in the game. Um, no more, no less. And so it ends up going pretty quickly. Again, especially when you know what you're doing. Um, gorgeous artwork. Um, very, very, very simple to teach to your friends. So it's the, a game that has a lot of deceptively deep strategy. But also, it will take you like five minutes to teach the people you're playing with. Um, That's not... another intuitive board, by the way. Yes, it's an extremely intuitive board. Yeah. Oh, oh, it's great. So the design of the board is just so smart because what's going to happen is on your turn, you're going to activate everything that's in, like you're going to pick a, something you're going to do. It's going to either play a bird or do something in one of those locations. So the wetlands gives you more birds. So when you play in the wetlands, you draw cards. Um, the the grasslands gives you more eggs and the forest gives you more food, which is what you, which is your currency for paying for birds. And what happens is the board is designed, Peaches is completely right, the board is very, very intuitive where what you're going to do is you're going to take your little round marker and you're going to move it from right to left and on each space you're going to do what it says. So you're going to get your, like, let's say you go to the wetlands, you're going to draw your cards and then you're going to move on to the birds, and most of the birds have a power, and then that activates. So you get, this bird gives you a card, and this bird gives you food, and this bird gives you another bird, and, and so on and so forth. And so you don't have to, like, you don't have to spend a lot of time trying to remember what to do. The board tells you what to do, and then the birds tell you what to do. The bird literally tells you, do this. The birds tell me what to do. <laughs> the bird's like, ah, yes. I take a turn. <laughs> so incredibly there's well a, designed. There's one parrot. <laughs> and then your little round marker then sticks on the board and that then keeps track of the fact that you have completed this round. Once you run out of round markers, 
you're done. It's over. Um, so it, it's very, very intuitive, very, very fast, very, very fun, constantly very different. Uh, it also um, has lots of great parts. It has a dice tower um, that is a birdhouse. Oh, I forgot and a about that. Very well produced dice tower. Oh yeah. So yeah. you get your the the resources, the food you get from rolling dice. You don't just roll them like a chump. You drop them in a birdhouse, and they tumble <laughs> through the birdhouse and like a chump. Yes, yes. <laughs> so it's extreme. A lot of very simple mechanics. It uses very few parts to create a lot of different things that you can do. What like. Like you might end up playing with the dice that are outside of the dice. You tower. just reminded me mm-hmm. um, the new edition of Betrayal at House on the Hill mm-hmm. also comes with a dice tower and it's like a little crypt. Oh, that's pretty cool. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. Cool. Sorry, I had to say. No, that. no, no, that's cool. I thought about I was trying, I was like over here milling on it. I think like, those are starting game? to become a pretty popular thing is include a dice tower in your game. Well, yeah, then they can upcharge. Yes. Um, no, it's got gorgeous components, gorgeous cards, gorgeous mats. It's a pretty game. Gorgeous dice. Yeah. It's a very pretty game. I think game. the uh, the and uh, this. I don't know if this is any credit toward the actual producer of the board game or not, but the app for Wingspan is really good. That's what too. I was about to say. Yeah, the app is is it plays really well. It like it. You can do a bunch of games in a small amount of time. There's like achievements in that in that app too. Like Ooh. there's like lots of stuff going on. You know the one thing that I don't like about Wingspan, mm-hmm. and I, this is not exclusive to Wingspan. This is every engine building game is there's got to be some universal rule in the board game Illuminati where, yeah, where they're like, okay, you're an engine building game. Just play and and we'll decide when uh, the rules say that you can't play anymore. And they're like measuring how much fun you're having. And right at peak fun, they're like, all right, that's the last round. Game's over. <laughs> so every <okay>. time, <laughs> every time in every engine building game, it's like, I finally have something cool going. Right. Next turn, the game's over. Yeah, it reminds me of Agricola. Like Agricola is like just when you've gotten your head above water and your family is okay. Yes. Okay, game's over. Yeah, <laughs> like just let me play one more round. Come on. I, I, I think that's intentional because I think, I mean, at that point, you've, you've solved things. Um, I know, and I right. want to. That's definitely a feeling that. And in I want to bask in the glory right. of the thing I've created. And right. I don't want to just say, "All right, fuck you, I'm done." <laughs> right. <laughs> like, absolutely. No, you're absolutely correct. Um, also, totally correct. the The app is great, and it's on everything. Like it's on it's on phones, it's on tablets, it's on Switch, it's on PlayStation, it's on Steam. It's on PlayStation. Yes. No, it was on consoles. Yes. What? Um, and I believe it has crossplay. Um, this wingspan is wide. Yes, and it also... Um, Jay Billis is proud. It has a- asynchronous play, so if you're playing it on the app, you like you take your turn, it gives you 72 hours to complete a game, and you just take your turn when you've got your phone and then wait on other people to take the turn. Occasionally, I find it a little bit hard to remember, like, wait, what was I doing? Um, but you can take a moment and just kind of look over what you've got, and you'll remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, so right now, I usually have like three or four games going at a time, one of them with my wife. Um, so I'm pretty much playing it all the time. Um, Chris, you played it. I, it. I played it at your house. Yeah. yeah. How'd you feel about it? I really enjoyed it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, I've played. It's been just long enough since I played that I would need to learn the rules again. Um, They're easy. But when I did understand the game, I I did have a lot of fun with it. I think we played a couple games. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I think back to that first game we played, and like I definitely understood the basic concepts. Uh-huh. But oh my god, did I play horrible, completely suboptimal that first time? Yeah. I think I ended up. I mean, that's always the case. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. I in a normal game now, I'm looking at 
get putting down at least nine birds um, between about They're nine. My and birds, my bird. I'll I, do it. I think that first one. <laughs> <laughs> I put down five birds today. <laughs> I think that first one. Four birds. I think that first one I only put down like five and I never considered like <laughs> birds that synergize well and play off of each other and like. But yeah. Anyway, wingspan. Um, Not really going out on a on a limb because it's it's been popular enough. You can find it's like I think it's a top 20 game on Board Game Geek. You can find it in Target. Um, it. it has managed to be not only a game that appeals to board game nerds like me, but also a mainstream audience. I had multiple so. people recommend it to me, like in a very short span of time yeah. when it first. A short wingspan of time. Out. Yeah, <laughs> it's for a good cause. Cause, cause. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and you have not played it, right? Hey, have- Gloomhaven. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. Gloomhaven is number one. It is. Mm-hmm. Uh, the game that Eduardo is going to say is number four. Number four. Oh. And number Wingspan four. is number 24. Nice. Which is still. Right below Terra Mystica. Terra Mystica still holds Oh my strong. God. That's another game I would recommend. That's, yeah. That's two of my favorite. Dominion, Terra Mystica, and Wingspan probably. Other games like we've already talked about. Seven Wonders Duel is 19. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, and that's where's all, that's all wait, where's Twilight Struggle? Because it said Twilight Struggle, it's gonna be high. It used to be number one. Twilight Imperium is six, not Imperium. Uh, Twilight Struggle is fourteen. Okay, it it was one for so long. There's been such a a surge in quality board game design. There's um, been such a Mountain Dew and game quality like, design. Like you can look at that list and that like. <laughs> I'll bet you the top 30 of that list is almost exclusively games that came out in the last 10 years. Uh, oh, 10 years? Probably, yeah. I don't know. There's just uh, there's so many good games on this list. And, and if you're listening to this and you are not sure how to like find quality board games, Board Game Geek's rankings are actually pretty... like like There are not bad games that are highly ranked. Now, you got to kind of learn what mechanics you like and look into... like. Just because a game is highly rated doesn't mean you will like it. Learn what mechanics you like. But if like you're looking for, oh, I want a good engine building game, or I want a good worker placement game, or I want a good two-player game, you go find the highest rated one on Board Game Geek that fits the mechanics you're looking for, and you've probably found a great game. Let me tell you something. I look at board games completely differently <laughs> than you do. I go, this looks fun, <laughs> and I buy the board this game. This looks pretty. I that's, want it. That's yeah. what happened with me in Dice yeah. Forge. Mm. I saw Dice, Dice Forge. Forge. Oh, yeah. I was at, uh, and Dice Forge is not Dice Throne. It is another dice building mm-hmm. game. Uh, but uh, I saw that one at some, like, it was like a comic store, and I was like, this looks fun. Like, I kind of want to buy this. It looks cool. And I bought it, and it has become my favorite game of all time. So, board game that is. But that's not what I'm going to be talking about today. Today, I'm going to be talking about uh, a game that uh, its predecessor is currently number one on Board Game Geek, and uh, it is number four, as Peach said. It is Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion. So, for those that don't know, Gloomhaven is a very, very, very large uh, cooperative <laughs> campaign dungeon crawler, where it's very close to a D&D campaign or a, an RPG that you're playing, but uh, there's no DM. The game is telling you what to do. So much more structure. It is very structured. Um, happy. But there's still a lot of 
of freedom in which you get to build your character. You, it's very RPG. You've got like item slots where you can put things in. Um, I want to talk about Jaws of the Lion because Jaws of the Lion does a really good job, one, truncating that experience and kind of cutting out. I, want, I don't want to call it bloat because I think it's, it's a feature, not a bug, but it cuts out anything that it doesn't consider necessary and it creates this incredible package in a such significantly smaller form factor. Uh, in the original Gloomhaven, you've got this big book and like we had to get an accordion folder for all the tiles. They're all like <laughs> alphabetized and you kind of like make the battlefield. In Gloomhaven, Jaws of the Lion, the board and the book are the same thing. You just play on the book. And it makes it so much faster to set up and take down. It is insane. I still can't believe that we went tackle box shopping. It's incredible. So (laughs) also my favorite part of that, you guys were there, but for those who were not there, is we went to Walmart to shop (laughs) in tackle boxes to get stuff to store our Gloomhaven parts in. And so we're sitting there looking at tackle boxes. And there was a moment that like Peaches and Eduardo were like, looking at the taco box like this one looks right and i noticed that there's some uh, this is in rural central florida and there are or i guess suburban central florida but there's some some middle-aged men walking past us looking at shopping at tackle boxes and i can definitely tell that they're they're looking at like you know hey look at these guys getting ready for their fishing trip and i'm just thinking (laughs) i'm not going to say it but no we're looking for parts for our board game (laughs) (laughs) for storage (laughs) Um, it's just wild that it has that much yeah Gloomhaven is really cool because the gameplay is incredibly varied. Mm-hmm. It is, it, it's very like RPG, like turn-based tactical RPG. Think, uh, think like a fi- Final Fantasy Tactics kind of a thing, um, but as a board game, and each of you individually control a character. Um, in Gloomhaven: Jaws of the Lion, there are only four characters. There, in the regular Gloomhaven game, you have. I think there are like 20 characters. There's hey, a lot. You start with six and then you unlock the others. Right. You unlock more and more characters and you kind of retire characters as you go through the campaign and like bring in new characters and stuff. Um, in Jaws of the Lion, you don't do that. You just have those four. Uh, I'll have everyone know that Jaws of the Lion has a place for almost everything inside the box. Okay. I'm buying it. It's incredible. It's a, it's a very nice box. <laughs> uh, it's yeah. also still quite hefty for a board game that is a truncated version of another board game. Mm-hmm. And so you, the way you play the game is you have like a deck of cards and um, you always have all of your cards. So you start off with every single card in your whole deck. And when you play your cards, you play two cards and the cards are like split in half and you choose a top side and a bottom side of each one of the cards and that's the one that you play and then those move your discard pile. Then once you've run out of cards, you can either take a short rest or a long rest to then get your cards back to continue playing. It's very D&D RPG-like. It's got a lot of that... Um, I, I haven't. We haven't reached a forked path yet, but in Gloomhaven, uh, the re- the base game, we had reached a couple forked paths where we could choose to go to different places. We could choose to do like side quests to get extra experience and money, and would lo- unlock other items and other things to do in the game. Uh, it's just a really fun cooperative thing, and you know, D and D is incredible, and some of the role play you can do in D and D is. Uh, kind of irreplaceable in, in that regard. But if you want just like a game where you're going, if you like the combat of D&D and that's the thing that you like, Gloomhaven is a wonderful kind of... Uh, it's like a wonderful 
version of that, of just the, the combat and still a lot of that world building and, and story, but a lot less of the, the role play um, and a little bit more structure. I prefer it entirely. We know. I had, I have something that I wanted to say about it, and it's slipping my mind right now. I need now. to play it. Um, oh, one thing I really like about it, and um, yeah, I don't know how many other games can do this because it just doesn't make sense for them to, but the way that Jaws of the Lion teaches you how to play the game is so smart. You You start Gloomhaven or you start any other board game, and you have to know 100% of the rules because if you don't know 100% of the rules, you will mess something up or you just won't play the game right or whatever it is. Jaws of the Lion, the first campaign that you play is like 20% of the rules. Yep. It tells you right then and there, here are the rules that matter for this campaign. You don't have to worry about any of this stuff, so don't even look at it. Just look at these 10 things, learn those 10 things, play the campaign. You beat that one, you go to the next one. Okay, all those 10 things still apply. Also, here's five more things. Campaign number two. And I just think it's really smart it's, it's to like do that. It's like a video game where you learn the mechanics yes. as you yes. go along. Exactly. Like, oh, level yeah. two, we're going to yeah. teach you how to do this. And it's crazy because I don't know I've ever seen that in a board game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you said, I've seen it in plenty of video yeah. games. Yeah. But for a board game to do that is just, in, especially when it's something that massive. You know, I've played, um, I have a Game of Thrones board game. I don't know if I ever forced you guys to play it. I, I played it once. The Game ga- of Thrones, the board game, is fun. It's also a very highly regarded game. It is fun. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that it is not a good game because it is, but the fact of it is the rule book if, is like 40 pages long. There's tons and tons and tons of rules. The game board is massive. There's tons of components. There's tons of things to know, and you can't play that game unless you know all yeah. of it. Yeah. So like, I don't, I don't know how many of you out there have pals that you know you invite to if if you have pals to play board games i'm sure you have some that are like willing to learn any rules and you also have some that are like i want to play but i don't want the thing to take five hours i don't want to spend an hour learning the rules so that we can spend an hour playing whatever you have those people and then you have the people that won't play you know there's a there's a spectrum of people that are willing to play board games whatever and not everything is like that if you want to play game of thrones the board game you have to learn all 40 pages of those rules yeah. or you're just not going to be able to play well. Yeah. And I think that it's a feat to take a game as big as Gloomhaven and break it up into chunks like that. It's just so much more digestible. Yeah, It's it's funny that, Chris, you said it's, it's like a video game teaching you things because Gloomhaven, it sounds like Jaws of the Lion even more so, which I need to play. Um, Gloomhaven, in so many ways, feels like a video game turned into a board game. And not yeah. like, you know, we took... We made a Metroid board game. I don't mean like that. I mean like how a video game works we and got is a structured to eat tofu. in a board game. Um, and, and in fact, I, in a lot of ways, Eduardo was talking about all the RPG elements. I think of Gloomhaven as being like someone took the parts of an RPG that Peaches and I like and got rid of everything else and made a board game out of it. Well, yeah, because I think you even described like how the enemies act as almost like an artificial intelligence. It's yes. Just like Correct. a set of rules. Correct. That... They follow, so you don't need a DM, a game yes. master, or whoever running the game. It's just like, we're well, going to follow these rules so that these enemies, yep. you know, they're going to move this amount of space on this turn or whatever. Yep. And that way, you don't need anyone running it, and you can still play against the game. Yep. So, yeah. 
And I don't normally love like co-op games, but I did really like Gloomhaven. Yeah, I also I like how it doesn't it's not you're you're playing against uh NPCs, right? But because they have this intelligence built into their rule set, it doesn't feel like you're playing on easy mode. It doesn't oh, feel like you can no. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't feel like you can just walk all over the game and the idea of you know, the way that Eduardo was describing, you use your full hand of cards and then you pick them all back up except you lose one. If you run out of cards to play, you're out, right? So there mm-hmm. is an, there's also in every scenario of Gloomhaven, there's like this element of take your time but hurry up, yeah. right? Like you want to strategize so that you can defeat the enemies, but you cannot like take your time because if you take your time, You'll run out of cards yep. and you won't be able to finish whatever the scenario is. So I really like the pacing of the game too because it's just like it's just panicky enough that it is fun and not so panicky that you're panicking. How many tries did it take us to get through the first scenario in Gloomhaven? <laughs> we like five, sucked. Right? We were really bad. We And part of that I think was because we had to know all the rules yeah. right away. Yep. You know. I have a terrible story about that that involves Eduardo. We we played Star Wars Rebellion, which is a really good game that I like, but it's exactly what you're describing of big, thick rule. You've got to know every rule. And there was one small rule that I did not realize, and he and I played, and I feel really bad because that game takes a while <laughs> to set up, and he agreed to play it. And I steamrolled him and thought, wow, this is broken, and then later found out that it's because I was violating a very important <laughs> rule. Essentially allowed me to move all the way across the map in one turn, which you absolutely cannot do. <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was completely unfair, and I thought, wow, that just feels so unfair. And then realized it's because we broke the rules, yeah. or I broke the rules. And I get it. Like I, I'm not saying that complicated board games aren't fun because you have to learn a lot right. of rules. It's just something that like you kind of expect. The thicker a rule book is of a board game. Mm-hmm the less well you're going to, f- to do right. the first few times you play. Right. Like, I I can't really think of a single game that... Uh, I can think... Let me rephrase this. I can think of more games where we've gone back afterwards and been like, hey, we did these three things wrong. I can also say there are games... There are games where the rules are so well crafted and so easy to understand mm-hmm. that after like after a round you understand like X-Men yes. United oh, yeah. Marvel United X-Men is a really good example of a game that looks like it would be really complicated you mm-hmm. sit down you go through a turn or two and you're like oh actually this is very easy yeah yeah, yeah. my my big example for that has always been Seven Wonders where Yes. yes. Explaining Excellent. seven wonders to someone makes no sense. Yeah. <laughs> but you make them play around and it becomes, oh, okay, I got yeah, this. Yeah, you completely it, understand it. Right. When I teach seven wonders to someone, it is, we're going to play a practice round. Don't worry about what you're scoring. Just this is how the game works. And then after that round, then you get it. Then you're good. Complex but not complicated. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, why'd you have to go and make things? What the fun? hell? It's another Avril hey. Levine song. Hey. You. <laughs> you. Did you see she's popped back up on social she's media and she's leaning into the uh, the conspiracy theory that she was replaced by a doppelganger? I would. I would absolutely do that. Yeah. Damn right. Wow. I'd be all over that shit. I had not heard that. Yeah, no, there's theory. a theory that there's a conspiracy theory that Avril Lavigne died after her first album and is replaced by a lookalike. Um, I think there was the same thing with Chad Kroger, right? No, there was with Paul McCartney. Is that, well... Is that? It's because they dated, right? Wait, Chad really? Kroger and Paul McCartney. Yeah, they were bros. 
They were the world's first roommates buried in an Egyptian tomb. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? No. I'm just saying nonsense. Oh now. my god, they were roommates. They were roommates. <laughs> uh, Chad Kroger never knows what he's what's going on. He's always so high. Look at this photo. He can hear heaven. <laughs> Look at this graph. I think that's going to do it for this episode <laughs> of Squad Up. Uh, if you like this bonus content, feel free to go over and support us. Assembly re- or Patreon.com slash Assembly Required. Uh, if you want to follow the show on Twitter, it's going to be at AssemblyCast. Email the show. AssemblyRequiredCast at gmail.com. That's going to do it. I forgot to sign off for Squad Up. Well, do we want to We want to maybe like real quick go over what the plan is for everybody since this is going to be like yeah, a this is the first bonus episode little freebie and a little freebie for and we'll uh, say it again on our okay other episode peach free. what's episode two going to be about well that i don't know <laughs> what i'm saying what i'm saying is it's just a reminder that we're putting these bonus episodes out there for the patrons at the uh hero and avenger level um right hero and avenger yes. five and ten dollar level yeah and this one is like the you know the freebie but we're going to be doing them monthly, and the ones after this will be for those tiers. So right. just a reminder, if you want to hear this bonus content, that's how you can access it. And we are definitely taking suggestions for bonus episodes, though we do have a small handful of things in mind that we know we want to do. Right. Uh, we know we want to do... Well, should I reveal any of them? What do you mean? Uh, is it okay to talk about yeah well like we know we want to do like a halloween horror nights episode we all to a a different degree but we all enjoy halloween horror nights a lot um and have spent several years going and enjoying um that that event so we want to talk about that probably around october and we have other stuff too but like you know we'll we'll take your ideas into consideration right so um if you want to catch this content from here on out you know support us on patreon at the five or ten dollar level, um, and you'll get to hear this stuff. Thank you for that support. If you're already doing it, that's the little reminder. That's all I got. All right. Well, that's gonna do it for this episode. <laughs> are you are you listening for what the sign off? I, I think was? that's what Chris's. That's what Chris is doing. Good luck, have fun, and then something that we said during the episode. Oh, oh that's right. right. Yeah, that's right. Uh. Good luck. <laughs> Have fun. Illuma Wadi? <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Illuma Wadi, bra. Uh.